Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> I had to. I, I understand. I had I to do. Understand. Had to do a little bit of that. Welcome, everyone, to this special edition of the H2O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. Well, I'm Timothy Hardy. And uh, tonight we take a deep dive into the Snyder Cut. And we are going to have this probably in a couple of a couple of hours ish. So I thought it's what we could do. It's not going to be as long as no, the Snyder Cut. It's not going to be as long as the Snyder Cut. So what I thought we would do is, Mrs. Boss, if you want to get the part graphic ready, we're going to divide this into a couple of parts. So let us begin with part the first. You know, it's a it's a motif. It's a motif. It's a, it's also, like well, the four three. If you're watching this, as opposed yes, to listening to it, you yes, I, we I went ahead and decided we're going to do it in IMAX format. Um, and actually, it's for us and those of us of an age. It's not exactly. IMAX format. It's right. the traditional four-three aspect ratio of old-fashioned television. Right, and and it's really when you consider some of the things that we are, we've all gotten very very used to widescreen on TV, sixteen nine, generally speaking for television. And, yeah, uh, but four-three, Star Trek: The Next Generation, four-three, mm-hmm. X Files, four-three. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, four three, and wasn't yeah. Babylon Five four three as well? I believe so. Yeah, because it was the same time as, um, as DS Nine. And and quite frankly, the the going to widescreen uh, while we're used to it now, there were people who actively resisted it mm. because you know the bars at the top and the bottom of my screen. Yeah, uh, I mean that's just it's it's one thing when it's a wall or a, or. 20 feet tall or, you know, and it's well, thing when you're watching it on your, on your 16-inch. The other part of that, too, is that televisions were not widescreen as right, of right. yet. And the 4-3 aspect ratio of regular, regular cathode ray tubes, that was the square. And if you had a widescreen movie... And back in the day, you had what was called pan and scan. So any time that you had the movie on television, if it was full screen, the monstrosity that was pan and scan. And it would, if you you see it in the Superman movie, because when it was on TV, you would have some of that and and some of the Star Trek stuff. And the pan and scan would basically be, they'd take the the film, and they would physically move from one side or the other, depending on where the action was, so you would miss whatever's happening in the rest of the frame. And when they went to widescreen and started giving us the widescreen with the letterbox, uh, I, don't, I don't even know if anybody ever says anything about letterbox anymore. No, no, no. They don't. But that gave us the full screen, but it had the black bars on the top and bottom. And these days, you have the widescreen televisions and when those first became a thing, one of the things that we had to deal with when making TV commercials or promos for the for the for TV stations is you would still have to frame everything for four three 
in the middle because some people had the widescreen TVs, most people still did not. So the four right. three screens would cut off anything. You did, it didn't shrink it down. It just cut off whatever mm -hmm. was on the sides. And now you have the four three aspect ratio in in widescreen like this, and the black bars that you see on the left and the right are called waterfalls. You have the letterbox, you have mm. the waterfalls. Those are the those are the technical inside baseball Hollywood terms. You've learned something today. Thank you. You're welcome. And on that note, we're out. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> now to part two. <laughs> well, and and I thought what we could do is 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 discuss a little bit about how we got here, mm. and the the beginnings of what has turned into the Snyder Cut. And then go into a little bit about what our review and our reaction and all that. Because sure. that that is going to be a longer discussion than we even have time for tonight, I'm sure. Because there's a lot. And the first thing I think we probably should say is that this, in many ways, the title of this film is not really the Snyder Cut. Well, technically, legally, it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. Well, but even so, uh, this is not the film you would have seen in the theaters had had everything gone according to plan. Right. Had had uh, you know, if Zack Snyder's had not lost his daughter, if the Snyder's mm -hmm. had, had their, um, you know, if uh, the studio had kept him in, if they'd not brought in Joss Whedon, if the film had gone, if the, the, you know, we had gotten the third film. In Zack Snyder's DCEU, this is not the movie we would have seen. Right. And I know that that's, it's certainly marketed, it's kind of marketed that way that it is. Yeah. And it's not, because this is a four-hour film. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention, I neglected to mention, um, for those who are wondering about the motif of the of the opening and mm. in doing all of this with the four three stuff, we've actually done this before. Mm. Our one hundredth episode was about the same time as Civil War. Um, full screens is where that's located, and this was the graphic that we put out that was based on the Civil War right. poster, mm -hmm. Captain America: Civil War. So we we do this every now and again. We play with this uh, right. idea. Right. So uh, so that's any anybody who's like, what is this? You know, for anybody who's a replay, there's there's a reason why we did this. One has to amuse oneself from time to time. Yes, because nobody else amuses me. I have to do it myself. Jason lives a life without joy. What? Happy birthday to William Shatner. There we go. Okay, 90. 90 years old today. Um, okay, so where to begin? Like, this, is, this isn't the, the Snyder movie. Um, it's kind of the Snyder movie. Well, so the, base, the, the short backstory is, of course, like we've mentioned, uh, uh, in the production of this film of Justice League, um, this would, you know the, there was the Man of there, there was Man of Steel, there was Batman v Superman, and there was Justice League. And fan reaction to Man of Steel and Batman v Superman was very divided. Right. Um, 
there were you and I had discussions, and, and I liked Man of Steel more than you did, and we we both had issues with Man of Steel, and I was like, well, I see what he's trying to do here with making superheroes, you know, you know, he's he's trying to make see what superheroes would be like in the real world, and it's kind of terrifying, yeah. and and then Batman v Superman was kind of more of the same, except now with more Martha, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, and that you know was nah. divisive too because people sat there and went, "Wait, this is the thing that that brings them together." Is yeah. they, they both had, their moms both had the same name, really? And he, you know, we, he's been he's in interviews said that he quite likes the idea, and I said, "Okay, well, there you go. That's what he wanted to do, and he did it." And but in terms of fan reactions and dollar reactions, and that's where the thing starts to go sideways. Because as much as you can, and, and here's the thing that, you know, for, for all that, there's a, an argument made for the triumph of the artist here, getting to show your vision and things like that. Um, it's a business. Yeah. Movie making is a business. The studio is your employer. Right, not Twitter. And they get to, um, you know, you're, you're producing, a, they're, they're paying you to produce a product for them that they are going to then sell. Yes. And so as much as we love the idea of the, of the artist being true to their story, the artist has a lot of expectation from the studio who, what's given them the money to make the movie in the first place. Right. And by all accounts, this was one of those productions where there was a lot of back and forth even before Snyder's daughter killed herself and they had to remove themselves from the production because the, it, they're, they're described as battles with the studio, not just disagreements, not just arguments or differences of opinion. They're actually described in these articles as battles. And I have to wonder just how much because I've heard from a couple of different places that it's been characterized as you do this or don't get the movie in terms of like, like with the Green Lantern thing, for example. His original idea was to have Green Lantern show up at the end, John Stewart most likely. And the conversation as as i've heard it described was basically snyder had shot the scene at his house mm. had cast a green lantern had shot it was ready to put it in and warner brothers says no we have plans for green lantern and snyder dug in his heels and says i really want to have this and they say you take it out or you don't get the movie i don't know how much that is yeah. but that's that's reported second hand from a conversation with Snyder. So I would be super skeptical of that because one scene I mean if it's on top of everything else well, that they've been of, fighting but, about though. I mean you could it could be a cumulative thing. It, Who knows? It certainly I don't know. could be. It could be. I think that one thing we have to bear in mind is that this is not an unusual process in the filmmaking world. No. Studio and and not to down not to downplay Whatever happened, because honestly, at this point, we we're net we're. I would love to see the definitive documentary of how all of this happened. Sure, but I whether or not I, maybe something we'll never get it. We we'll maybe get we might get something, 
But it won't be, yeah. We, we weren't there. None of these other people were there, however these stories are being reported. But this is also something to remember. This is not uncommon. Studios uh, and, and the producers will go to the director and they will say, okay, now look, right. you know, Yes, you have this. You have this vision for your film, and and Snyder's not the first director to have basically had someone, a studio, crack down on, on whatever their plans were and say, "Okay, no, we're telling you this yeah. is not a this is not a discussion. This is we're in charge." Right. And uh, and 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 the irony is that that same kind of thing happened in order for Snyder to finally get his cut because yeah. mm-hmm. Jason Kalar at AT and T took Toby Emmerich and sat him down and said, this is going to happen. And we're going to get into that here in a minute. Uh, do you want to just recognize real quick, your Muslim uncle, a new name that we haven't seen before in the chat. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for being here. And the, the idea of the triumph of the artist, in this particular case, I think has a little bit different kind of resonance because of the circumstances, because of what happened to pull the Snyders out of the project in the first place and for them to go in. And and, uh, my understanding is Snyder still has not seen Joss Whedon's version of the movie. Right. His wife wife told him that he should not. Ever see it. And I think that... And... um, whether you're a fan of Joss Whedon or not, or however you feel about all the recent news about how he seems to be treating people on, on going back years, treating people on mm. the um, And so I, this is a weird thing to say. Um, Joss Whedon was put in a very awkward position in this movie by the studio. In, in fairness to him, he, he was asked to do something yeah. that um, generally does not go well for anybody who's asked to do this. Hi, um, we're the studio. We don't like the way the film is looking that we put a lot of money into. Doesn't make, doesn't make the studio right or wrong. This happens again. This is, Joss Whedon's not the first person to be asked in to, to finish something. It's happened on Star Wars at least twice that we know of. Well, it's happened on lots and lots of movies, mm-hmm. going back to the beginning of movies. Yeah. And however you feel about Joss Whedon, Avengers was successful. And the DCEU, they were looking at Man of Steel, and they were looking at Batman v Superman, and they were going, these are not doing what we want them to do. Let's make, let's bring in the guy what gave Marvel a successful superhero team-up movie. Right. And he will, he's got a track record of this. Let's bring him in. Sure. And and when they first announced it, it made sense. It, it was, okay, this is the guy who did Avengers. And sure, okay, it's another team-up movie. Let's do it. And little did we know. What we know now. <laughs> and, and you can, What's alleged now. Well, let, me, let, me, let me clarify that. Because yeah. there is no proof other than... Ray Fisher says something happened. He doesn't even say what what well, happened. Well, and what it does, the situation. So this is where this is where, however you feel about about all of that, and if you're unfamiliar with it, there were Ray Fisher has said he his experience on making Justice League with, once Joss Whedon came in was very very bad. 
and there have been other things that we've heard from other actors in the film whose experiences with Joss Whedon were great. Yeah. Uh, and again, coming back to not defending Joss Whedon, but you could, I'm sure someone will argue, possibly with some some truth to it, that Joss Whedon might not have been in the best of mood while on set under the circumstances, considering the studio basically telling him, turn what you have. Here's, here's, here's the footage we, we have shot. Now make this into a DC version of an Avengers movie. Um, I can't imagine what, with what we watched... Uh, you know, with what we watched with the Snyder Cut, yeah, you, I can't imagine him going, right, no problem, because it would have it, it was a problem, yeah, uh, and and which is why you ended up with as much reshoots because for him to take the content that we do get and make what the studio seems to have asked for, mm-hmm. um, I'm I an know. editor. I'm I think I'm a pretty I think I'm a pretty good editor. I uh, I I cut, have. I have been in this in that circumstance with regard to TV commercials where mm-hmm. you have certain pieces or you have something that somebody else has done that you have to redo or do a new version of. Um, I've got a contract out of Nashville and they're, they're, one of their clients was Ameriprise, which is the you know the financial the broker oh, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the contract now currently is simply to update all of the disclaimers and the the identity cards and the copyright plates and all that other stuff. So I get those. But I don't have the raw footage. I just have the existing spot. And the existing spot has all of the graphics and disclaimer. Now it's done, most of it, it's done where I can I can cut in and out of pieces. Sure. I can do that. But every now and again, you'll get a graphic that lays on top. And now you have to lay a graphic on top. And you have to lay another graphic on top. Because I get it again the next year because the copyright dates all change, right? right. Sure, of course. Or their certifications will change. So the mm-hmm. letters. Or the music that they use. Or... Let's do a new font this year. Everything's the exact same, but we're using a different font. Right, right. Which is moving from this font to this font, and they look exactly the same. It looks exactly the same. You're moving from Georgia to Times Roman. It looks exactly the same. Nobody's going to be able to tell the difference. Um, But yeah, I've had to do that, but I couldn't imagine doing it for a full feature-length movie. It's it kind of a nightmare scenario. Um, it did not go well for apparently for everyone. Everyone and and one thing that I, that however you feel about Zack Snyder's films, and we've discussed that there are we've you know he's a very visual artist who sometimes does not tell good stories or great stories. Mm. Um, he seems to inspire a lot of loyalty in the people that work with him. He is described as being a very nice guy, Mm -hmm. very generous to people on set creatively and collaboratively and all of that. So I I would think that it would be a a rather good, pleasant experience to make the film. Doesn't necessarily mean that Snyder is the best at what he does. Right, and I think that that's what we've seen... You know, and and not to belittle the fans of Zack Snyder in any way, shape, or form, 
um, because you like his movies. Great, fantastic, that's yeah. wonderful. Um, but there's been an interesting, and, and we've seen this, you know, there's, a, there's always an element out there, because the internet is the internet, mm. where um, you, there are folks who are ardent, ardent defenders of Zack Snyder and all of his work, and there are folks who are ardent, ardent critics of Zack Snyder and all of his work. <laughs> and these two seem, these two aspects of fandom will seem to never find common ground. Yeah. Uh, and so just, you know, enjoy a film or don't enjoy it. Maybe yeah. stay off Twitter. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we have a comment in the chat from your Muslim uncle about all of the nostalgia back here with the spinner rack and the mm. computer. Uh, just a fun fact for those of you who are new to the program, that Macintosh back there actually still does work. It will turn on, and it will be there, and the operating system is loaded, and it's all there. I just don't have anything to do with it because you can't do anything with it now. You can't connect it. to the Internet or anything like that. And I can't find... I can't find the directory that would let me load a graphic in for the desktop wallpaper... So we could put our logo, you know, we could turn it on and there's our logo in the old Mac, but I haven't been able to find it. Because yeah. it, it, the hierarchy, the menu hierarchy is so different because yeah, this it's, is... It's a foreign language. This is 1986, 80, 88, somewhere, somewhere in there. there. It's, it's, it's old. Yeah. But it works. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, we have, we have all sorts of fun kitschy stuff around here uh somewhere somewhere on the channel i've got a tour of the studio before you rearrange it if you hang around long enough you may come to understand jason and i have been around for a while a day or two a couple of three <laughs> <laughs> but zach snyder's visual style he's a very skilled visualist i'll say it that way from a story standpoint, not so much. Now, with Watchmen, he had the comic book. He had, they, they adapted the comic book. And the same with 300. Both and the same with 300. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, did he do the script for Watchmen? Did he do the screenplay or did somebody else do the screenplay for Watchmen? I can't remember. Um, I'm not certain. I can't remember if he adapted it himself or he was... Because Chris Terrio did the script for Justice League. And, well, Snyder's Justice League. And he's been involved. What, didn't he do Batman v Superman? Didn't they bring him well. in for something like that? And he's, a, he's Ben Affleck's contribution to all of this. Chris Terrio wrote the script for Argo. And I think he won won an Oscar for it, or he got an, he at least got a nomination, nomination for a script. Least, yeah. And Terrio, I think, also was brought in for The Rise of Skywalker to try to fix that, I think, wasn't he? he was yeah. To. Yeah. So, because Colin Trevorrow did, you know, Colin Trevorrow and his, his writing partner did, did Duel of the Fates, and then mm. that got trashed. And then, um, I think when Abrams came in, they brought Chris Terrio in, and Terrio and Abrams did the script for Rise of Skywalker. So Chris Terrio is this, I guess, the go-to guy right now for scripts. Although I'm seeing you know, some chatter online that he's maybe not necessarily the best choice all the time. 
I haven't seen enough of his work to really get a, a good sense of what kind of writer he is. Well, and, and certainly, um, while there are folks who are named as script doctors for projects, there are also folks who are not named. Yeah. They are deliberately brought in very, very quietly to fix whatever it is they feel that isn't working. And again, that's generally a studio decision. Right. So, so here's where we are. You've got uh, Zach and Deborah Snyder leave the project. Joss Whedon does his. The movie comes out in 2017. Does not perform to expectations. Well, neither with the audience nor with critics. Right. So Nobody okay. likes it. Well, not, not enough people like it. And, and to be fair, it did not actually bomb. Right. Okay. It made money. Now... The kind of monies we're talking about here, when you can hear someone say, it made $800 million, and you go, and it bombed, and you're like, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> studio Hollywood accounting being what it is. Um, and it's funny because I've mentioned before, I was reading These Are the Voyages, which is the behind the scenes on all the Star Trek stuff. And up until the point, at least through the beginning of the first movie, mm-hmm. Star Trek as a property still wasn't making a profit according to the, the Hollywood math that, this, that the, the studio was using. So nobody was getting any residuals or right. royalties or anything like that. So when you do the creative bookkeeping, it doesn't make money. But you also have to consider, too... For those of you who don't know, when you make a movie, you have the three hundred million that you spend to make it, and then you have three to four hundred million that you spend to market it. So all the TV commercials, all the trailers, radio spots, web stuff, newspaper trailers, and that dollar press amount, junkets, everything. That dollar amount has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over time because. Where it has to go now mm-hmm. has gotten lot. bigger and bigger because in the, back in back when I was a boy, and that's not a, this is not an exaggeration. Back when I was a boy, mm-hmm. um, you got your trailers in the movie theaters. Right. If you got a TV trailer, you got like one. Right, TV trailer. and it was a thirty-second spot, and it was just cut from the trailer, and. I don't ever remember hearing a radio spot for a movie. So You'd get the newspaper ad. Newspaper ads. Um, every, maybe a magazine ad, I'm, depending I'm, on the movie. Oh, yeah, I would certainly. But remember. nothing on radio. I don't remember any radio either. You'd get, you get reviews. Mm-hmm, sure. People would get on the radio and say, hey, I saw this movie. Here's what I think about it. You know, people like mm-hmm. Rex Reed or, or, or and honestly, Cisco the, Niebuhr. The, the power of a handful of reviewers in those days was really, really strong because it was, you'd get Rex Reed, you'd get Roger Ebert. You Gene Shalit. You'd have these folks who, because this was their life. They would go and they would, and whether or not you agreed with them, and there's a, I think uh, Roger Ebert, I own like two of his collections of mm-hmm. reviews. Even when I don't agree with him, even when I disagree with him greatly, I always have enjoyed his reviews because in a fantastic turn of phrase, he was not afraid to tell you why he did not like something and be like, you know, 
if he hated something, he would sit there and go, I really hate this movie, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, it gets no stars. None. Yeah. Zero. And, and, and you could watch it and go, but I really like this movie. It's like, okay, but Roger Ebert didn't. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? And, but, I mean, you had these, these powerful voices. And, and, and back in the day, if you didn't agree with Roger Ebert, he wouldn't call you names. He might well. So with the, so, <laughs> at least not publicly. Yeah, because I mean, his his <laughs> relationship would, with Siskel yeah. uh, <laughs> behind the scenes was not always polite. I think I well, I would maybe categorize our friendship in. Similar colors, a deeper level of times. animosity between the two of them than I think you and I have ever experienced. <laughs> but that's okay. But they, but they respected each other. Well, they, and, and they, they, they got along at least on te- on camera. And they knew and, that what they did on camera together was effective yeah. in terms of getting what their point across, even when they did, especially when they disagreed, because they could compellingly give. I mean, if you if you watched at the movies. You know, if you watch the TV version of this, uh, the reviews, you really got a sense of of why they didn't like things. And they would talk about story and how the film looked, how it sounded, mm-hmm. how it made them feel. Music, yeah, and editing, I mean, they, they would, the production design. They'd go into all the different aspects of what they like, what they didn't like. And I think that you can, if, you still can find reviewers like that um, out there. In the, now that's basically, the internet is the wild west of reviews. Yeah. And you can find folks who are very superficial and find folks who do very, very deep dives. And so you have, you know, you get to choose what you're... Here, okay, here's, here's my honest suggestion if you want to, you know, obviously our reviews are, are amazing. But um, if, you, if you're going to go, go to IMDb, pick a film that you like, mm-hmm. click on the reviewers, there will be hundreds of them. Yeah. Or Rotten Tomatoes. Or Rotten Tomatoes. Or um, what's the other one? What's uh, uh, Metacritic? Metacritic. See, I like IMDb because I can very, very easily see... It's all alphabetical by mm. reviewer. And so you can scan through here and see if there are names you recognize. Um, uh, on the horror side of things, Culture Crypt is a, is a site with a, a guy who actually do a deep dive into it. Uh, James Bertinelli. Bertinelli? I think it's well, Bird I, I, that's, um, that's not my genre, so I wouldn't. No, no, Bertinelli uh, does. I think it's, I think that's how his name is pronounced. Uh, does everything. He's mm. uh, the Moria Science Fiction. M O R I A. They do uh, a lot of science fiction, fantasy, uh, and horror stuff. They it depends on the film whether they do a deeper dive or not. Some right. stuff's real shallow, but they will also give you references to all the other films the filmmaker made. So you're like. Oh, all the Lovecraft movies, ta-da. Here's all the Carpenter movies, ta-da. Here's mm. all the, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff out there for you to find the stuff that you want to you wanna listen you wanna listen to or watch or things like that. Right. So, um, and a lot of them are YouTube channels if you're a fan of watching videos about reviews. That as well, so. Robert asks, uh, why is the marketing so much? It's not like people don't know a new Avengers movie is coming. And has marketing made a positive difference? We know, f- for example, John Carter was badly marketed, but has a movie been saved by marketing? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and one of the ones, I, I, I can go back to this again and again and again, because I don't like the movie, The Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. If The Blair Witch Project had not had the marketing campaign that it had, nobody would have seen it. Yep. 
It is a, and, and again, um, I, I, just because I don't like the movie and actively dislike the film um, doesn't diminish its importance. It revitalized horror at a time when horror was pretty stagnant. And it, unfortunately, kicked off every <laughs> film had to be found footage for a while. Right. And, and getting found footage, getting found, there's nothing inherently wrong with found footage movies, but getting them right is tough. Mm. It's hard. And, and if I'm, you're running from the monster, turn off the camera. <laughs> If you're if, if you're running from the monster in the woods, don't have the light on the camera oh, showing right. where you're going. Right. <laughs> well, in fact, the monster just stops and he just waits. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, behind the mask, folks. Uh, behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, which is a fantastic kind of meta horror comedy. Um, it is it is a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It's one of my favorite horror films of all time. And it is, we've been dying for a sequel ever since it came out. They've been promising us one, and we're never going to get it, and it hurts. But they've got, a, there's a deleted scene, spoiler for a deleted scene, where it gives away how the unstoppable serial killer, masked murderer can always catch you when he's just walking and you're running. And it is one of the funniest most clever pieces of, thi of, of of cinema that I've seen when it comes to a character going, you want to hear a secret? <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely great. Um, but, so yeah, there's um, marketing. Marketing, can, marketing can, can make a big deal. Uh, well, and, and as far as the expenses go, I mean, you have... You have the the PR company who sets up interviews. We get emails all the time from people saying, "Hey, we've got this person. You want to sit the interview?" So there's all the time involved in that. Uh, you've got graphic designers and 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 photographers, and video video editors, and stuff putting yeah, together all of the your, the press kits. Well, you're hiring a your, company to build your trailers. Those are not made in house. So that's, right. that's another expense. Yeah, that's another expense. And you you're have not just doing it. Right, and and generally you have PR companies, you have advertising agencies, because the advertising agencies will handle, you know, placing the TV commercials on television, or uh, you know, if if they do any kind of a radio campaign, or if they do newspaper ads, they do magazine ads, they do web ads anywhere, any any of that stuff. Um, you have the affiliate marketing companies, people like Radican and and uh, Commission Junction and, and those companies. They have people that you pay to handle. Uh, we've got an affiliate marketing thing set up with Paramount Plus and with Walmart and with GameStop. And so people have to manage all of those mm -hmm. offers because – the code, get, you have to design the code for the ad. If you click here and it's got the thing and it's got the widget that says it came from you and it determines how much commission you get, and whether they bought anything or not, you know, all of that stuff on the back end. But then you have the screenings, the red carpet screenings, the press screenings. So you have to pay for the space for those. You've got to rent out the, the movie theater. You have to pay whatever marketing company is local to that area to come in and handle you know, to staff it and bring people in and hand up the card and tell us what you think well, and, and all this other stuff. So there, there's, there's a lot to it besides and, just, hey, we've got a movie. Well, and considering that, you know, you can, you can think about how much this, these trailers can be put in front of you 
and yet, you know, whether it's through your phone or on TV or on the internet in the last year, pretty much is where we feel everything. Um, but even then, inviting those that that the press and the critics to your screenings is still important. That's mm-hmm. still in a I mean, that's, a, that's an expense you would almost think would go away, but it doesn't because it still matters. Yeah. And then you take that and you, then you multiply it by on a worldwide level. And the cost of advertising in the UK or advertising in Canada or advertising in Brazil or China or Russia or wherever your film is going to play. And then there's licensing deals that sometimes you have to pay for. You're, you're paying amounts for certain markets. And right. There's a lot of money that goes into this process. Yeah. So all of that, coming back to Justice League of 2017, making 800 million, was not the target number that they had, uh, and it was actually it's the third film that didn't do what they had hoped it would do, right. box office yeah. wise. Yeah. So now yeah. they're sitting there going, okay, well now we have an albatross in the DCEU. What do we do with it? Because Man of Steel did not make as much money as they were hoping it would make. Again, it made a good. It made it, a good amount of money. It made a good amount of money. But it, you know, if our projections are X, and you make a a picture and it makes X minus Z, they don't look at X. You know, they're still looking at X, and they say this is where it's supposed to be, right. and it's not there. Something went wrong, and it's usually the director's fault. And then, you know, so Man of Steel well, happened. Well, well, it's the, blamed on the, the director. director gets blamed. The director yeah, gets blamed. Yeah. I mean, yes, thank you. So, <laughs> Man of Steel underperformed. Batman v Superman underperformed. And this is, and of course, this is a. So, in the, on the Marvel side, it's just add Wolverine. On the DV, DC side, it's just add Batman. <laughs> right so now, with more Batman. Now with more Batman. And it didn't work. And well, and part of that came out of the fact that the Batman that we got um, was just as Man of Steel was not the Superman a lot of people were expecting. The Batman we got, with the few exceptions and scenes that, that it was very much the Batman we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the Batman people were expecting either. And what became very, very clear by the end of Batman v Superman is that Snyder was telling a specific kind of superhero story with these characters, and it wasn't necessarily the one that people were expecting. Well, and I think it wasn't consistent with those characters either, because Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and the DC lineup, they are of a type. Mm. And it's, it's a certain kind of superhero story universe, superhero universe that DC has that's different from Marvel. And for all of the tongue-in-cheek zip-zip pow that you get from the Marvel universe, the DC universe could stand to have a little bit more of that. And Snyder's take, and we've talked about this before, the whole tone of the whole, you know, grounded in reality and the physics and the, it, the everything, that only works so far. And I think that part was a lot more off-putting for the audience than people expected. So then you get into Batman v Superman underperforming at the box office. While they're in pre-production for Justice League, 
And that's when the suits come in and say, okay, time out. We're going to rethink a few things. And they had meetings with Zach and Deborah Snyder. And that's when Jeff Johns was brought in and John Berg. And now you have all of this in the mix. And to be clear, we need to make this, we need to make this clear. Walter Hamada was not at DC Films when Justice League was being made. Ray right. Fisher makes a lot of noise about Walter Hamada, but Hamada was not involved in the making of Justice League. He didn't come in until afterwards. He was pre- he was president. Of, he he came in after Kevin Sujihara left. Mm-hmm. So all of this that Ray Fisher talks about the abuse and the allegations and the whatnot did not happen on Walter Hamada's watch. The investigation did. And the judge that they hired to investigate says Hamada never did anything to interfere with the investigation. Everybody cooperated, everything was fine. This is we found what we found and we dealt with it. So for Fisher to make a bunch of noise about Walter Hamada, but after the fact uh, the, the problem there though is we still don't know. We don't know. Yeah. And, and so it becomes one of those, it, it, it's a he said, he said, he said, they said situation yeah. at this point. And legally, there's a whole bunch of people who are not going to tell you what happened. Right. And that is how you want it, by the way. We all want to know the skinny of what happened. But there's a, re- I was an HR manager for five years. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Yeah. There's a lot of secrets that don't that don't make it out of the world on how people what people say and do and, and in, in that, business and, and that actually should be more of that and 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 you, this is what you want especially yeah. if you are one of those people whose whose career and life can be damaged if what gets out and yeah. and you did nothing wrong so 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 now we're in the midst and and I I distinctly remember there was a particular press day early on during production of Justice League when they were starting to shoot. Now, I want to say that they were shooting in the UK, but I don't remember for sure. Probably. And Zach, Zach and, and Deborah were still part of the of the production. And a bunch of press yeah, went I in know, there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's when they sat there and said, we're making some adjustments. This was the beginning of the spin where, okay... These two movies didn't quite do what we were expecting them to do. We're making some adjustments on the stuff. So you, they were getting out ahead of it, mm-hmm. saying, we've learned we're going to make, we're going to do things differently. So the expectation was that Justice League was going to be better, was going to be more of what we expect from a DC movie. And then, of course, the whole thing happened with his daughter, and everything blew up. And then we got Joss Whedon in and, and the subsequent mess that was Justice League of 2017. Now, in, in fairness to Justice League of 2017, it is not, strictly speaking, this is where, this is where, where words get fun, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it is not, strictly speaking, a terrible movie. It's not a good movie. Mm. And, well, hold on, if, let me qualify that. If you enjoy Justice League, then fine. There are worse superhero films out there. It is not the the eighties and nineties were full of much much worse. Catwoman. Um, there was and because you have to bear in mind that until 
Marvel. Uh, I mean, certainly Tim Burton's Batman, and and you had you had the you know the Blade movies. You had this stuff these pop up from time to time. But they were the exception. They were the exception. There was a lot of bad superhero films. Studios had a hard time making superhero films work for a long time. And a lot of that was budget, effects, and. And the studios didn't really take them seriously. They didn't either. take them seriously. That was the so other thing. So when you run, when you see when you see the modern era of the superhero film, you're looking at something that is not. It, it's it's an exception to the rule when it comes to telling these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. So, the fact that, you know, we even get these movies is kind of. It's it. it and we and, and we the fact are that they're still, still getting, getting them. them yeah. <laughs> Well, and the other thing too is when you when you look at how the 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 superhero movies have evolved over the last now twenty some odd years, there's definitely a growth mm-hmm. in the the amount of importance that the studio puts on them. Okay. Maybe to the detriment of the entire genre and the entire yes. film industry, because now everything has to be yeah. this three hundred million dollar tentpole blockbuster. Something. And oddly enough, oddly enough, the one of the the potential benefits coming out of spending a year under pandemic conditions is that smaller budget pictures have had a bigger. Audience, I would think, and we've talked about this before. I would think that that's going to be the case. We're think, going to get smaller budgets, and quite frankly, good. Yep. Um, I think that smaller budget, smaller budget pictures generally can yield some some really fine work, some right. bad work too. But anyway, um, Justice League twenty seventeen is a really good nineteen ninety superhero movie. <laughs> yep, and and that's not necessarily a complete slam. I mean, if it had come out in the 90s, we would be oh, looking at yeah. it and going, this is really good. And, that, and I mean, there's, it's just when you, when you put it where it actually falls in the timeline, mm-hmm. it does not hold up. Yeah. And it's a schizophrenic movie as well. And if you're an editor watching the film, you feel that in the edit. If you're a fan watching the film who has just watched Man of Steel... Batman v Superman, and then you hit Justice League, and you're going, "Hawa, yeah, uh, yeah." There's a definite shift in tone, even even within the movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's this back and forth, and I know the color palette is is part of it, and you know the music and 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 you can have you can have a a dark tone that switches with comedy all the time. Horror does it extremely well. Mm. I mean, it's part. It's baked into into a large part into what we think of as mo- the modern horror film. Um, and you can so you, you can do it, but there's a tension that has to be maintained and, and balanced. And and Justice League 2017 just no, it does it, not. It, it does not. So now we fast forward, and fans are sitting there saying, "You know what? It really." Really wish we could have seen what Zack Snyder was going to be able to do with this. And social media being what it is, there was a hashtag. Release the Snyder Cut. And for four years, 
you had a certain segment of the social media population agitating for the director's cut, the 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 Snyder version, because people are familiar with the idea of a director's cut. Sure, we get we've gotten those before. So now people some are directors saying, do more than one. <laughs> And, and some director's cuts are not as good as the originals, or some are better. Yeah. But this 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 movement that came out with the whole re, you know, redoing Justice League and giving us what Zack Snyder had wanted in this, you know Snyder cut Snyder cut to the point where they're paying for billboards and they hired a plane to to drag a banner around the sky at Comic-Con. I mean, there, that, there was a dedicated fan base that was really pushing for this. Which would not have made the slightest bit of difference, by the way, if Zack Snyder had not made it clear that the work print existed. Right. And so, that was a deliberate thing on his part in order to nudge that just a little bit further. Because if it didn't exist, for example, um, on, uh, people have been uh, uh, clamoring for years and years and years to see the directors, the full, the full heavily R-rated cut of Event Horizon. Mm. Um, there's like, because the studio sat there and went, we can't show this to audiences, cut these scenes out. And it was like, no, well, fine. And that footage is gone. You, it, it's not. You cannot get the director's cut of Event Horizon because the footage simply doesn't exist. And according to sources, quote unquote, the original theatrical versions of the Star Wars trilogy don't exist anymore. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Sure. I don't believe that for a second. No, not probably not. Um, uh, funny thing, I heard. I heard this story the other day. They were talking about the history of the despecialized edition that Harmy's been that was working on. And yes, Mazers, the Donner Cut is a, is a good example of that as well for Superman mm -hmm. too. Sure. But uh, did you know that the despecialized edition of Star Wars is now up to version 3.0? They continue to update it. I, I was not aware I of this. But that something that came out, I was watching a video on the on the development of it, and they note that you know the the American Film Institute, the archive, the National Film Registry that got started. Star Wars was one of the first 25 films that they said, we're going to put that in here. They still don't have a copy of it because Lucasfilm wanted to give them the special edition. And according to the rules, the, the, um, the National Film Registry says... Original. The original theatrical right. what first got released. Right, sure. And Lucasfilm won't give it to them. And I'm thinking, it's got to be somewhere. Always Somebody is. has it to is. have it. It has it to Somebody's exist. Got it. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so so we've got this this movement now for Zack Snyder's vision. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is fueled by what was going on with his family. Well, not only people that. People felt sorry, people felt bad, and they wanted they wanted him to get his shot. Not only that, but the cast... The cast of this film, again, we come back to the fact that the people who work with Snyder really seem to enjoy the experience and, and they like him. Yeah. And he seems to treat, he, from what we can tell, he seems to treat his actors and crew well. Which, you know what, folks? You want loyalty. Um, this is a way, one of the ways you can get it in, in that industry is 
treat each other well. Shocking, shockingly, <laughs> if you're nice to each other and treat each other well, people will be, be, be fans of yours. And, and so the fact that you've got, you know, Wonder Woman comes out and uh, Patty Jenkins says, Snyder's, you know, we built this off the backbone of what Snyder was doing. Yeah. Aquaman comes out. We built this on the backbone of what Snyder was doing. Even and, though that Aquaman is nothing like the Aquaman in the well, but again, the, the the in either version, in either version, that's true. But again, I think that you know, you get into these weird kind of places where something starts here and ends up here, and no. you know, it goes. But but you get there's this already this this establishment among not just the fans but the people involved in making the movies with him, going, yeah, I want to see it too. Yeah, and then. Nothing for the longest time. It doesn't exist. And then you had the the media shills coming out. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. People like John Campia. It doesn't exist. And then it did. Well, because strictly speaking, on one hand, what? Strictly, speaking, strictly speaking, they are correct. They are, yes. They're, it they're, doesn't exist. There was a work print. There was a rough cut. Right, and work it print. It wasn't a finished thing because the effects weren't done yeah. and all of this other stuff. But I still contend to this day that the only reason that Zack Snyder's Justice League exists as a completed project was because Jason Kalar and the gang at AT&T saw The Mandalorian and Disney Plus and it exploded. And they looked over and they said, what have we got for HBO Max? And I think that is a, whether it is true or not, it is true I absolutely enough. think that it's true. Because if we had not, if there, if, if there had not been a financial HBO reason. Max, we have to sell HBO Max. What big ticket item do we have that will compel people? Well, we're in the streaming wars now. Yeah, we are that's in, exactly what it is. We are in the streaming wars. It is the early days of cable competition, mm-hmm. writ, writ large, and... Um, and that interview with Ann Sarnoff that came out in Variety this week from Warner Media pretty much makes it clear that's that's what happened because they ask, they ask her now about the David Ayer cut for Suicide Squad. And, you know, because that's what everybody's, you know, well, we got the Snyder Cut, let's get the Air Cut. It's just like we have no plans to do the David Air Cut. Which tells me this, all of this, was to sell HBO Max. Which, and they did it, and it's done, and we don't need to do any more. And folks, uh, if you're surprised by this, or thinking that the artist, you know, <laughs> you're letting down the artist, again, I believe we mentioned earlier, it's a business, uh-huh. okay? It's not... We all want movie making to be about the art. Right. We do. But it's a business, and it's always been a business. And it's always been about, um, you know, can the, can the studio make money? Will we, there's people wanting, you know, this is, Justice League is the first of two or three Justice League movies, depending on how it breaks down. And this is, you know, the, people are like, well, I want the next ones. And, the studio at this point that's it has no they don't well they don't need to and secondly yeah so and, they spent and Sar- Sarnarf has made it clear this is the third movie Zach got to finish his trilogy mm-hmm. 
and there are no plans. Everything else with regard to DC, we have so many other creative voices. We have oh, so many other people that are coming into play in the sandbox. Zach had his turn. Now it's time for other people to play and do all of the different multiverse and the whatever and the whatnot. Which, to be honest, I would argue is the best thing DC could do right now, as opposed to swinging back, correct, Honestly, course correcting back to... I don't think that DC or Warner Brothers or Warner Media or at and or any of them have any idea what they should be doing next. That's why the multiverse thing, because I mean, you can do anything. I suppose. All right, speaking of, so here's here's what we do, because now we've gone through how we got here. Mm-hmm. All right, so what we'll do, and, and Robert, to answer your question, this Wonder Woman mug came from SuperheroStuff.com. I don't know if they still have it or not. I think the Batman mug came from there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's... That's possibly if you if they still have it. That's unfortunately it's a left hand it. it's a left hand mug. So yes. I've been hold, you've been seeing the black side the the, the blank black side. And our discount code is sci-fi for me ten. It still exists. We just don't promote it. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very quick break, and then we will come back with part two and get into the nitty gritty, the discussion and the analysis and the review of the Snyder Cut. Sci-Fi for Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi for Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. So the Snyder Cut comes out. It's in 4-3 aspect ratio, and everybody's like, eh, what? But I think it works. He, there's there's a very much a again coming back to Snyder being a visual storyteller very mm. much so there's a verticality to his shots he shoots is a lot is that a word yeah <laughs> it is now okay um, from he shoots from below he shoots from above yeah. this is something that actually tends to lend itself well to a vertical uh, sort of alignment and so and again if you're looking at something in IMAX that's your format and if you're if you're not someone who's ever watched IMAX it's not everywhere it's not in every market right um, if you're someone who has not enjoyed watching IMAX this might be a little bit of a just but it very quickly stopped the first time I watched it you know, it took a minute and then it was fine yeah yeah you don't you don't notice it um, Robert S uh, I suspect the Marvel MCU was lightning in a bottle I don't think any other studio will bother to pursue multi-million dollar shared universes. What other attempt has worked? Okay. What other attempt has worked is a good question. There are lots of other studios that are trying to... They would love to be able to replicate that. They would love to be able to replicate it. There are two things that come into play there. Two things that you need... To be first? In order... Well, not not to be first. (laughs) You need a Kevin Feige... And that Kevin Feige needs to understand the material. Because if you get somebody who's like a Kevin Feige, who doesn't have any clue what they're working with, like J.J. Abrams, for example, or take your pick. There's, there's a number of them that have made the attempt. 
but if you have that person who is in charge of the overall thing and does not have a clear vision, a clear understanding of the franchise, of the IP, the source material, whatever, whatever he's working with, then it's going to fail. We've seen that with DC, you know, because Snyder had his vision mm-hmm. and they bring in Wheaton and, you know, you've had Jeff Johns, you've had John Berg, you've had Kevin Sujihara, you've had now Walter Hamada. And I think maybe, maybe now that Jim Lee is the chief creative officer who has his hands in everything. Well, we'll see, won't we? Maybe. Because Jim Lee understands the material. Right. That's, there's no question about that because he's been in it for so long. And he's created a lot of it. Right. And has written and drawn and all this. So Jim Lee and but see the thing about it is we thought that about Jeff Johns. We figured Jeff Johns would be the guy because he understands his material because he wrote half of it. But at the same time, it, this is something this is something you see when you have somebody who's a really, really good writer for television who then has become a showrunner. Mm-hmm. They, they get their chance to have their own series. And some folks are really, really great at doing yeah. Standalone episodes, but telling a straw, a, a, a full story, or dealing with the day-to-day actual pressure yeah. of doing the job, and and this is not to slam the folks who don't succeed, because it's hard, and some folks are cut out for it, and some folks are not, and the folks who aren't are really really good at what they do. But they're not necessarily yeah. the people you want running things because it's not their skill set. Right. So. So we start off where Batman v Superman left off with Superman dying. And right at the beginning of this thing, we have a problem. <laughs> okay, let me let me preface all of this. Spoilers, by the way, we're gonna yeah, have spoilers yeah, this, this is episode. Be a, this I, is we, spoiler, we hope you. We hope this, you. Yeah, spoiler. If you've got right, this far, so we're gonna spoil this. A couple of things. Mm. Neither one of us are going to gush that this is the masterpiece that everybody says this is this is the most fantastic thing in the world that we've ever seen. It's greater greater than sliced bread. It is a better movie. I enjoyed the film. Yes. It has flaws. Yes. Yes. And we'll and we'll do We'll try to be fair, I yeah, guess. No, and, and I, I mean, this, this is okay. My, I have no intention of telling you this is a, this is a terrible film. I hate Zack Snyder movies, and and this should never have happened. This is not a thing that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but I'm also not going to sit there and say this is the greatest film that was ever made. Right. Okay. So Mazur says J.J. Abrams says pretty Kenner toy memories. Pew pew. Let me write a story about this. And Mrs. Boss throws her two cents in. Dark helmet playing with his dolls. And Mazur says, oh, God, I hadn't put those two together yet. <laughs> Very nice. Now, Very nice. Zack Snyder does not take action figures and put them in his whatever little thing. He actually does. One thing, my biggest takeaway from this is that probably since Watchmen, because I didn't see 300, probably since Watchmen, this is his most cohesive 
story. This is one of his best films, in my opinion. And that's not saying much. There, there's, but it's, mm. there's actually story, and it actually holds together. Some of it doesn't make sense, but within the context of what's going on, it fairly well holds up. Now, the problem with that is that we're looking at a film that's four hours long, which means if we had gotten the version that we were going to get in the theater, which would not have been four hours long, mm. folks, people were complaining about the length of Batman v Superman that was two and a half hours. Yeah. You would not have gotten even a three-hour cut of this film. The studio wouldn't have done it. Right. They would have, they'd have looked at the dollars and the numbers and said, you can't have three hours. Two well, and a half hours would have been the tops. So that's well, an hour and 2017 a half. Justice League was two hours. There's an hour and a half of this film that we watched that would not have been in the theaters, right. period. That's right. just not how things work. It would not be there. Okay, so so do where we, would it go? Do we do what works first, what doesn't work first? Do we just kind of go through the... the I think we can film. just kind of go through. Just because go I think through. It's, it, some of this stuff is kind of intertwined in ways where... Parts of a thing work, mm -hmm. and parts of a thing don't. The sound waves of his death scream. <clears throat> okay. And yeah, I mean, so that's right, the be right at the beginning, you're like, hang on, that's not how sound works. And it, it's complicated even more so. Okay, so yes. It's Kryptonian sound. So we are in, we are in a world... Oh, in God, a world. I came, I came dangerously close <laughs> to saying the thing, which is just dumb, but... Um, but this is a world that we Snyder live in has. A society. Yeah. <laughs> Snyder has sort of built this this universe of his of this particular iteration of these characters in a world where physics behaves more or less how physics behaves. Uh -huh. Where, where in Man of Steel, the big controversy is godlike beings fight; it destroys cities and people die, right? And so you get to. And yes, so but we this is an, a reality with a guy who flies, yeah, you know, and a woman who's a five thousand year old Amazon, and so so there's a certain amount of, you know, you have to you have to yeah right, but suspension get, of disbelief. But then you have this sound effect wave, and I'm not entirely sure. The first time I watched this, by the third or fourth thousandth iteration of this mm -hmm. sound wave because the scene goes on for a long time. Oh, yeah. I'm starting to giggle because Superman's death sound is starting to sound ridiculous. Right. And I'm just like, okay. And, and once it gets to Atlantis, okay, by that time, it would have dissipated. Gone. Well, if it, for it to have the effect that it has, period, right. there is a significant destructive sonic wave that has torn the Gotham City is raised to the ground. Oh, I know, I know. Effect. Every every window would have blown blown out. <laughs> I mean, Airplanes would be dropping from the sky. I mean and and it travels linearly, horizontally. Sound doesn't travel horizontally. Travels Outwardly. And so this is not necessarily a great sign. This is the first thing. It's like, you know, and it's like even leaving aside suspension of disbelief, the scene goes on long enough that you're kind of like, I can't just push it aside. Yeah. And, and then it gets to the mother boxes. Hmm. And the mother boxes go, hmm? Yeah. They that? wake up. And I'm sitting here going, why? 
Okay, so Superman, Superman, Superman dies, and the mother boxes wake up. Okay, so so you're, you're going to explain that later, right? Okay, I'll, I'll wait for the explanation later. And they kind of do. <laughs> if you if you cock your head and, and well, and as they're figuring funny. out, as they're figuring out why they didn't wake up before when when Silas used it to save Victor. It's because the mother boxes knew that there was a Kryptonian on the planet. Well, okay, hang on. This Kryptonian has only been on the planet for like 30-ish some 30, odd years. Yeah. These mother boxes have been on the planet for how many thousands of At years? 5,000. And they've never woken up because a, a there's not been a Kryptonian on the planet before that we know of. Right, right. Well, okay, hang on. Because there is that Kryptonian ship that's 20,000 years old. Okay, but now you are doing what the internet is really, really good at, and that is trying to find an explanation that satisfies the narrative hole. Right. There's and a narrative I, and, hole here. And I'm not saying that I'm trying... I, I know. But I'm just saying, you could latch onto that. You could, but, but... it's not in the story. It's not in the story. It's not in the story at all. And it's, it's one of those things where um, you have those little pieces of, you know, like I said, the whole thing hangs together fairly well, except for those little threads, and you start to pull on those threads, and the whole thing just sits there and goes, hang on, wait a minute. And then, like you say, there are those scenes that just go on and on and on and they don't advance the story. They add texture. They add, um, to some degree, they can add some amount of context to a larger situation, but they're unnecessary. Mm -hmm. There's a scene with uh, Aquaman in the village when he goes into the water. Yes. And the, the dirge. The dirge. The 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 villagers. I mean, and admittedly, you know, he he brings them food when they're, the ice cuts them off from the outside world. You know, they're they're very fond of him. There's a young lady there who is extremely fond of him, and, <laughs> and seems to think that nuzzling his sweater is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and there's and that's not that's not the only somewhat creepy moment in this movie <laughs> when it comes to to people looking at other people longingly, um, but. It's a very strange scene, and it goes on for a very long time. Yes. And there's a shot at the end of it where you're basically looking at the back of this young woman's head. And I'm looking at this shot, which is like, I don't know, five or ten seconds, which is a really long time on camera. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, of what benefit? I mean, she's, the back of her head is very nice. I mean, you know, it's, it's a perfectly, it's a well-shaped human head. She's got nice hair, but I don't care about the back of her head in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I'm just like, why are we? Why are we watching this? And and there's a lot of the there's a lot of that. There's a lot of why did we do this? Why did we? Why did why did we take that path to get here? Because mm -hmm. um, you were talking about Bruce Wayne showing up, you know, going over the mountain to get there when he's rich and he's got all this stuff. And inside the narrative of the story, the city is socked in. There's ice packed in. Ships haven't been able to get there for th what three months or, or whatever yeah. like that. So there's there's dialogue to cover that. 
and I don't think that Bruce Wayne would take like an icebreaker or a submarine or whatever to to come in here. I'm thinking to myself, okay, besides the pretty pictures, like you point out, there's a lot of pretty pictures. There's there. a lot of pretty pictures, and like I said, Zack Snyder's a great visualist. Mm-hmm. He's a, yeah. he's a, he's a wonderful visual stylist. The film, the, yeah. Okay. If 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 you take away nothing else from this, this film is significantly better looking than Justice League 2017. Yes. It is yes. a it is not just for the mustache, but just overall no, everything. Not to say that there are not some special effects failures in this film because mm-hmm. there's a few. Yeah. But overall, you have those places and and dialogue covers a little bit of it. Yeah. And I my thinking in my head, in my head canon Bruce Wayne is respecting the boundaries of the town. He's he's not coming in as this, you know, rich guy, here's all my technology and whatever. <clears throat> he's trying to kind of just the problem is, show is that up. that's headcanon because it's not <coughs> I know. I know. You get these wonderful long shots of Bruce Wayne on horseback crossing the mountains to get to this little town. And, and it's evocative of his journey to become Batman, which nobody sees, and and has never it's never been on the camera. By the way, um, we don't actually get a Batman origin story in this I film. I know, and I was confused, it and was I felt like I was missing something. It was very refreshing. <laughs> I, I feel I feel a little cheated that I didn't get yet another <laughs> Batman because I, 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 well, I was under the impression that was the law. Okay, we did get a reference to it. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. I didn't. There was no. There's a reference there were to it. No. Pearls. We didn't get a flashback. We, yes, no we pearls didn't get pearls hit the ground. ground. So, although one day I will actually, uh, we will actually get a version of that that shot that does not involve pearls falling and individual bouncing pearls because that's not how you make pearl necklaces. They're tied so that if you break a pearl necklace, you'll like two will fall off and then it's that's done. You can't. Martha Wayne had really weird jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> well. Stop and consider that it was the 1930s. Doesn't matter. They've been making pearl necklaces like that forever because they're little round bouncy things uh-huh. that get lost. <laughs> and the, apparently they're valuable, so you know they well, don't want to lose that. Right. So anyway, so we've got you've got the setup. The this thing is divided into six parts, and the first part is Bruce Wayne going through trying to recruit people, and he goes to see Aquaman and. Um, Diana is looking for Victor, Cyborg, and, and all of these things. And we have the beginnings. We have uh, Steppenwolf, a, a much better realized Steppenwolf in this version. Much um, more alien. Yes. And I think that really kind of matters because um, when we got the glimpse of Steppenwolf from Batman v Superman... It was a very much a alien appearance, and mm-hmm. so when you get to Justice League in the 2017 version, and he looks so humanoid. Yeah, it becomes uh, very—it's a little jarring there. But by the way, there's another little contradiction here because Lex Luthor has encountered Steppenwolf in Batman v Superman. Steppenwolf knows all about Earth, and yet he's terribly surprised to discover that the Mother Boxes are here. And the anti-life equation is here. But then again, so is Darkseid, even though he's been here before. Yeah, they, now see, they that's lost probably the, the planet. That's probably the biggest glaring hole in the whole thing. 
because you have the flashback because Diana gets her exposition and it it's it's an exposition but it's 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 a better crafted version of a scene we got in 2017 because it's longer and it fleshes it out and you get more of a sense right and you get dark side is the battle. bad guy yeah you get the ancient one. battle you get the the men and and the Atlanteans and the Amazons all coming together. It's a little too long. Along with a Green Lantern, a Green Lantern who, uh, who on one <laughs> hand, you 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 found that there were well, uh, people have figured out. Funnily when, enough, when to be yeah, Screen to. Screen Crush has a video on all the different Easter eggs mm-hmm. and the things that you missed and whatnot. And the Green Lantern that shows up in this battle from five thousand years ago looks like. A Green Lantern named Yalan Gur, who in the comic books was the Green Lantern of Sector 2814 back at that time. So they've actually done a fairly deep dive to get the Green Lantern of 2814 from that time period Mm -hmm. in here. So you have that. You have uh, all of them coming together to defeat... Dark side, and split a, split a, the the mother boxes apart, and Dark side loses, mm-hmm. and the whole essence of the story is Dark side lost, and he leaves the whole armada leaves. It's his one defeat. It's like it's the one planet that defeated him. How do you not put a pin in the map that says <laughs> no. we've got to come back to this place and show them what's what? Not to mention the anti-life equation is here. This is the thing that he wants. I, d- I got the impression though that he didn't know it was there the first time he was there. Mm. He didn't realize it because Steppenwolf discovers it and was like, oh, this is the planet that's got mm, the anti-life maybe, equation. Maybe. The problem is, is that it's... It's possible they didn't put... The one planet that kicked us off is the one planet that has the anti-life. I think maybe they didn't make but that Dark connection. Darkseid is just not even remotely the kind of character to sit there and go, oh, well, we'll just ignore those guys. I know, for 5,000 years. No, Hello, he's like, Matooine. He's like, Welcome. I'm going to stump them so hard. I know. You know I'm going I'm to recuperate in the hospital, and when I get, when I get out of the hospital, I'm coming back. Why doesn't he do that? I mean, time, cosmic timescales, right? But still, even so, there is, nonetheless. It, okay, check me on this. Because I want to say that in the comics, and I could be remembering this wrong, but if, if Darkseid has been here before and was defeated, and then got, got you know, was off doing whatever... Wasn't there a revolt on Apocalypse at one point that kept him from doing a whole lot of things that he uh, wanted to do? So depending on which version of... Because Kirby's old gods have become... have gone through, you know, the fourth world sure. folks have gone through different things. There's a... There's... Just like over on the, on the Marvel side with the Eternals, mm. there are versions of... The fourth world we don't talk about because it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Death of the old gods and, and some of the other things. And, right. Um, but um, at the time period that we're seeing here, Darkseid is not the ruler of Apocalypse. He is one of the, he's the still the, he's, his father is still the ruler of Apocalypse. And what this film doesn't show is that Steppenwolf is Darkseid's uncle. 
Darkseid kills his father and assumes the throne. Mm -hmm. Steppenwolf serves him, but he's his uncle. He also betrays him later and gets in trouble and et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's court politics, folks. It's it's very it's very uh, um, plot driven kind of things. Dark Darkseid has won the, however, I mean, and and then we don't even get into New Genesis and Oberon, Oberon and, 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 and Orion and Scott Free and. Barda, and, and of course, if we'd gotten more, we got Granny Goodness in here, so if we'd gotten more, maybe we'd have gotten we Big Barda. We see Granny Goodness. We, she she doesn't have anything okay, to do. She's in two shots. Yeah. She, doesn't have <laughs> she just stands there she and looks tall. <laughs> I would like to see, and, and there's been chatter. Thinner than she should have been, too. Yes, yeah, and younger. Well, it's hard to tell from the younger. She's, in the, she's far enough back, but she's... she's I would like to see Gina thinner. Carano as Big Barda. She doesn't have the physical height for it, I don't she think. She doesn't have a height, but Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, potentially. I mean, you, could, I, you could do it. And, I, mean, and, I mean, Hugh Jackman. I know, I know. Hugh Jackman's a six-foot five to, Wolverine have, or something. Well, I yeah, mean, but I, it's just, there's something about the... the, one, of the one of the things about the character that always has been a visual aspect is the fact that Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, mm -hmm. her husband, is... You know, there's a. She's like a foot taller than he is. I know, I know, I know. And 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 that's kind of been. You know, it's well, it's Big Barda. It's it's built into the name. It's, yes, it's, but I mean, Wonder Woman's supposed to be an Amazon stands six foot something, and Gal Gadot is not. Six well, foot but you look at this film. You know, it's very clear that that Henry Cavill is not very tall. I'm just saying. Most most actors I'm are not. Saying. By the way, folks. I mean, I'm I am just saying. I am five foot nine. I am the, the oh. There are a significant number of big Hollywood stars who are shorter than I am. Yeah. As I it mean, turns out, being not being very tall is not necessarily a benefit when it comes to being a movie star. No. So. Well, and 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 I'm not saying that, but you know, I mean, you look at say um, whatever they end up doing with She Hulk, for example. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, you look at what they've done with. Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk and mm -hmm. the oh, motion yeah, capture and all these yeah, things. Yeah, just, I mean, you could take somebody like Gina Carano because as a, an MMA fighter, she has the stature oh, she's and the, she's got the skill set. So she, she brings that. She's, yeah, I, yeah, so I I could see it. You, you'd have to do some, some was, playing with the If it was 20 CG. years ago, it would be Cynthia Rothrock. Mm-hmm. Although as much as fun as Cynthia Rothrock was was to watch, and on, on what is International Women's Day, there was a video that was circulating a big fight scene that she did with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it was pretty. It yeah. was a lot of fun to watch. Intense. But she was also not the strongest of actresses. No, and that's you know, but it's a trade off. But yeah, oh, she she kicked so mm -hmm. much butt in those films. Anyway, so all all that to say, yeah. Um, so you've got uh, you've got Wonder Woman doing the the attack on London. We mm -hmm. get that scene still, but it's longer. Uh huh. And it's deadlier, and there's, it's bloodier. There's a whole lot of murdering happening in this scene. And and okay, now in fair in fairness here, because of we're we're in this world that Zack Snyder wants to have, which is this reality world. Yeah. Right? And so it's a crisis situation. There are, these are murdery people who are who are their children at risk. There's a bomb, which no one can see, but they all scream when it's open because the angle is completely wrong. Line right. of sight, folks. Children lying on the uh, sitting on the floor cannot see up and over into a... It's just, that's not how things work. Um, so on one hand, Wonder Woman, and she's from a warrior culture, her killing these people doesn't bother me as much as it 
might in a different kind of Wonder Woman movie or yeah. a different kind of superhero film. In this world, I'm less I'm less concerned. However, these poor kids, these <laughs> kids are, are are traumatized for life. They are going to be in therapy for decades. They're they are PTSD. There's just like this blahs, and, and I realize we're in a superhero movie, I know, but we, we spend so much time looking at these children and their reaction, and all I yeah. could think is, oh, these poor kids. They've been shot at, there's been a bomb go off, and... They've watched Wonder people's heads crushed against walls by this woman who just flinging people around. And then she comes, and then she comes back, she's like... Everybody okay? <laughs> all right. At the, the, t- the change in the tone of voice, her entire demeanor is just like, everybody all right? Yeah, fun park? Yeah, well, yeah. it's just a <laughs> nice day at the zoo. You just want to sit there and have someone go, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not okay. Uh, remember what's, that, what's that scene from uh, Gross Point Blank where, um, <laughs> where the, 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 the convenience store blows up and John Cusack looks at the guy and goes, are you right? He goes, no, I'm not all right. <laughs> I just, I gotta find a new job. <laughs> it's like, and there's a there, there's a young lady uh, who says, "Are you okay, princess?" But I thought, I mean, her interactions with the kids is exactly what she should be doing at this point. Sure. And the little girl goes, "You know, can I be like you when I grow up?" And I'm like, um, I don't know if that would be my first response to going watching, you know, Wonder Woman throw right. this guy's head into a wall. Well, it's, it's also not blood consistent. Blood splattering in the background. Yeah, and it's not consistent with Wonder Woman, the one, you know, what we've all come to know as well, the character, except, like you say, inside this world. But, it, it, you know, but it, you know, it's a scene that also has one of the problems with the end of Man of Steel, right? And we talked about this, is that I said that uh, a, a long time ago and I don't think we ever recorded anything talking about this, one of our private discussions on it, is that as an editor, the scene after he kills Zod, spoiler alert for Man of Steel, mm. um, that we, you can see what Snyder's trying to do with him when he screams there, it's, 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 what a, it's the, I've killed someone, and, and you can see what Snyder's doing, it just doesn't work. Right. And, and I, my, I maintain that if that scene had been longer, if Snyder had, had had given us the time to sit there and, and watch him process what he had done, the fact yeah, that it has to sink in. It has to sink what, in. What a yeah. And this is the same kind of thing: is that for a film that has so much time for so many other things, it doesn't have that moment for him for to have Wonder Woman sit there and say, "This was terrible, and I'm sorry you had to see this." Mm-hmm. Which would have gone a long way at that moment for to, to really take him take pull back the the the. The, the issue, trauma. the trauma of this, yeah. and I think it's it, it's a band aid over the reality of what living in this world would be like. Um, but at the same time, it's what you kind of, you would expect from Diana, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. So we get we get everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit. So we've got uh, we've got Bruce and Diana, and the dynamic there is just a little hint. Of what we got in the animated series, which is good because at one point the plan was is that Bruce was going to fall in love with Lois Lane. Yeah, and while you you reminded me, yes, there was some flirting stuff that happened uh, in, in the animated in the animated series. Um, it was in this universe that would have been a this would have ticked fans off. Oh, because yeah, it would no not question. it would not have made sense. 
to the vast majority of Superman fans and Batman fans and Lois Lane fans. Well, and and I've maintained from the beginning that the whole premise of Superman versus Batman in that movie wasn't earned. No, it's not. And if you were to follow that with Bruce Wayne getting together with Lois, you would have had so much of a fan revolt. You would not have a push for a hashtag release of Snyder Cut after that. I can tell you that. No, you would not. People would have sat there and But the stu- this is the case where the studio sat there with, um, no. Yeah, and rightly so. And rightly so. Rightly so. Um, your, Muslim uncle, your Muslim uncle says, if you think J.J. Abrams will do anything besides cut, copy, paste, destroy, you haven't been paying attention. Um, yeah, we we need to talk about J.J. Abrams at some point. Uh, he can make some good. He can make some good TV sometimes. I think. I think. I think that needs to be a, a discussion at a later time. A we'll later we'll time. circle we'll back to that, like they say. Yeah. Um, so, so we've got now. Diana has her meeting with Victor, and and Victor's story is much more fleshed out. Okay, let's this. let's let's make this very very clear here. There are some real winners and losers with the expanded runtime. Right. Victor's part. There's a reason why you heard Snyder sit there and say that Cyborg is the heart of the story, because in many ways Cyborg is the audience surrogate of this movie. There's it, that. Um, and and yeah. it's, it's not the audience surrogate in the way that you normally think of the ordinary person. But he's the closest thing in this world to an ordinary person. Yeah. He's the guy who doesn't, he didn't set out to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. He didn't set out to be a hero. He's a guy who's in... Something happened to him, and now he's stuck with it. Right, and he's, you know, he's a football star. There's an accident. His mother is killed. He's got a distant father. This stuff is fleshed out. And the, the, uh, the added benefit is that his father, Silas also is developed much, much more into character. And he gets character. a great arc. And he gets, and, and he, some of his arc happens, and this is like, I'm gonna give, I know that some of this is Snyder and some of this is the performance. There's stuff that he does without saying a word. He has scenes where he has no dialogue. Yeah. And he, tell, and you know exactly, you see exactly what he's doing. Joe Morton is a fantastic he's actor. Really good in this movie. He is. And you would not necessarily expect to sit there and go, superhero movie in there, but here he is. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's, got, there's some great stuff. And there. I have to say, the dynamic between them and, and Victor's origin story, notwithstanding the fact that the mother box is involved in that now, mm-hmm. because it was not in the original. Right. Because you go back to the original origin of Cyborg as written by George Perez and Marv Wolfman, it, there's alien technology, but it's not a mother box. And basically, in that story, mom and dad are scientists together, and they have a moment of lapse of judgment, and they're making out in the lab, and somebody leans up against a button and opens this trans-dimensional portal. Like you do. Like you do. And this thing comes in, what sucks mom away. Mom's dead now. And the thing goes after Victor, because Victor just happens to walk in, sees mom get sucked up into the alien thing, and an alien comes after him, but... Silas manages to get the portal closed and the alien gets sucked back in and now here's Victor, he's half dead. 
and Silas is a cyberneticist and just basically uses his his mm. knowledge and technology at Star Labs in order. There's no mother box involved. But just as the Marvel Universe kind of mixes and matches certain things to yeah. to contemporize and to tie things together to a more coherent whole as things connect, same thing here. Yeah, and it actually works. It does. And what I like is the fact that you still have that dynamic between Victor and his father that you got from the comic book origin where he is so angry and is so disheartened and discouraged by what's happened to him. His life is over. I mean, he's, gone, he's lost his mother. He's lost everything that he... He's, he's dead. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he, there's, there's a grave with his name on it. And not only the fact that he has... He is physically not... In his, especially in his own mind right now, he's not human anymore. Right. He's it's, a monster. And, and there's a... Um, there's a certain amount of. I had an, I had an, a, a certain amount of feeling that those initial scenes went on too long initially, but I think the more I think about it, the more it really cements the anger that he's got, and that helps him later in the film when he lets starts to let go of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and but initially, I did feel that those scenes went on too long, um, and I, I think I'm wrong. I'd have to watch it again. It happens. Well, it does happen. It does, but I think, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I honestly would have to watch it again to sit there. Just, yeah. But I, I'm thinking that maybe they aren't too long. I didn't get a sense that any of, any of that was too long. I think that maybe there was, maybe there were a couple of places where it was too slow. Perhaps in terms of pacing. In terms of pacing, yeah. like, and, and that's an editing thing. That's not the you know the story beats. The story beats are, you know, what right. they are, and right. they're angry, and he's standing there. But when he's standing there, and the scene just kind of goes a little bit yeah. longer, yeah. I think in terms of the emotion, you're right. It's 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 what it needs to play out. He's angry, and he's all. That. But in terms of the pace of the film. It could, there are a couple of places where it could have been trimmed yeah. a little bit. Um, a, a note on visual style here, because you see scenes that you definitely saw in the trailer that you didn't see in the 2017 cut, and there's yeah. about 70% of the film is brand new footage for, for you as a viewer, if you if you've saw. And even the 30% that does exist is different framings mm-hmm. or different angles. I've seen several people sit there and go, this is a different shot. No, it's not a different shot. It's framed different, but it's the same shot. No. It's cropped different, it's closer, it's further back. Um, but you can see, you know, if, you, if you've ever sat behind a camera, you're going, you know, that's the same shot. Yeah. Well, and, and you have things like uh, uh, the, the conversation between Lois and Martha Kent, for example, mm-hmm. where you get a scene where they talk to each other and you essentially have the same kind of thing play out only in the 2017 movie, it was at the Daily Planet, mm-hmm. and here it's at Lois's apartment. And because of the lo- the locations, the the the, lo- and the mood is completely, completely different. different. Um, but I think there's also uh, uh, a couple of places where the extended time doesn't necessarily do any of our char- uh, certain characters' favors. We get more for Barry Allen, mm-hmm. but 
if this is not the Barry, if you're not enjoying this particular incarnation of Barry Allen, the motor mouth, yeah, you know, autistic um, type. And, and, and some of it's fun. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't hate it, um, but there's, we, get a, we get this scene where he gets introduced to Iris, mm-hmm. and he's going to get a job at this, at this doggy daycare place, and I am not in necessarily enjoying the doggy daycare scene because it just he's so scattered, and yeah. so it just, it's not doing anything for me. And, and, and if you're, again, it's one of those things, if you're enjoying this in, interpretation of the character, you might find that scene very entertaining. It's just not working for me. That element of this Barry Allen mm-hmm. makes me think of Bart Impulse from yeah, the future. Yeah, that's... But for the most part, this Flash is Wally West, mm-hmm. not Barry Allen. And it bothers me. Because if you're calling somebody Barry Allen and I'm seeing Wally West on the screen, I want to sit there and say, that's not Barry Allen, that's Wally West! <laughs> yeah, is that. It is a fundamental difference in those characters right. that, and for all that you see everything on TV, from John Wesley Shipp's Flash to Grant Gustin's Flash to whatever comes next, nobody has gotten Barry Allen right yet. The Flash from the 90s was the closest, but it's still, there was a little bit of Wally in that one. But this whole, you know, I have to be constantly eating and, mm-hmm. and all this, you know, this, the hum- the sense of humor and the, the, the wit and, and I'm going to be the class clown, that's all Wally. We have yet to see a Barry Allen that's faithful to the source material, and you you pointed out rightly so, it's because the age thing. Yeah. So the you end up with so the, here's here's we come back to the practicalities of the business, is that the younger the actor you bring in, the more time if it's a successful incarnation of that character, you get multiple movies or TV shows or whatever. Yeah. You want them to be able to play that part for a long time, and so the, the younger you bring them in. And the fact that you get to have an origin story because everybody loves the origin story. Sure. And this means you're liable to cast younger. Well, if you're going to cast younger, the problem with Barry Allen is that Barry Allen is a forensic scientist in his 30s. And his origin story revolves around his being a forensic scientist in his 30s because he's working in his forensic science lab when the lightning hits. And this is, this is not like a, I'm a brand new at the forensic science. It is, I am an established forensic scientist. I'm, you know, when there is a crime, I am called in to help solve the crime with the yeah. power of science. And the only, the only character flaw for Barry Allen is the fact that he's perpetually late. Right. And they play with that irony in, in the comics. Is, is, Wally is West, of course, is Kid Flash. He is yeah. the younger Sidevik. And when, and when Barry Allen dies in Crisis on Infinite Earth, back Spoilers. in the 80s, yeah. um, Barry, uh, you know, he's gone, but he's, Wally takes up the mantle. And for a generation of comic book readers, Wally was the Flash. Well, and he was the Flash in, in a lot of the animated stuff. Right, right. And so if, you, if you're going to go back and pull these characters from the time when Justice League came together, 
you completely understand where they're going with Barry Allen. The problem is, is that it's not Barry it's Allen. Not really Barry Allen. It's it was it's Wally. Well, and the, and the thing is, that it could still actually embed Wally because the meet cute, which I have problems with, between him and Iris, uh, could have been the meet him and cute, Linda. Him and Linda. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not tied into yeah. you know. Because that's both, not Iris either. Well, they both have relationships here. Well, it's a multiverse. They both have relationships here that uh, will later be critical to the character's development. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily matter in this moment whether it's Iris or Linda, because yeah. at this point, it's a woman in a car. Yeah. Now, in, she's, she's going to be back. They, yeah, they've cast back. her for the Flash. So this whole sequence, though. <laughs> so I used to drive for a living, um, and uh, the whole premise of this thing is there's a guy in a there's a guy in a truck with Gardner Fox on it. I know, that was a nice touch. Except Gardner the problem is this is the guy in the truck who's gonna cause an accident. So yes. that's not cool. Um, but he drops his sandwich on, yep. on, on the on the floor and folks if you've ever driven for a living living professionally, if you know what happens if you drop it on the floor and you're driving a, a, a vehicle that you're you don't personally own. Yeah, it's in, it stays there. It stays there. Yep. You do not do the whole. Oh, let me get the, let me reach over. <laughs> let me get the, because you know what's going to happen is exactly what happens in this film. And yeah. It's so contrived. Well, and and the thing is now I have dropped things on the floor. You know, I've dropped a phone. Sure, dropped sure. the thing, and if I'm driving, and something something falls to the floor, I can reach, and I can still. Be up here, and I can see. Yeah, but if if you're driving, driving. if you're driving professionally in an equivalent, in an equivalent of Chicago, this is Gotham, right? No, Central City. Central City. It's still Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you're driving. You're driving in Kansas. No, no, you're not doing this. So, so it's a, it's a, it it happens because it has to happen so you can have the scene of the car wreck. Mm. By the way, Iris um, needs to keep her eyes on the road. Because yes. she's staring at Barry through the window, <laughs> and Barry, as a as a as a, a responsible human adult, should sit there and go, "Attractive lady, who I'm doing this cool eye contact thing. Please look at the road so you don't we die terribly." We haven't established that Barry is a responsible adult. I know, I know. Super JLK in the chat. He says, "Was anyone else bothered that he was a criminal justice major? They're not the same thing as a forensic science. And also, how to get his powers in the Snyderverse? Was he working in a campus lab?" We will. We will come back to my my. I'm not. I'm not done with my issues with Barry in this yes. film. For and and yes, uh, uh, JLK, we are in the four three vintage aspect ratio tonight. Uh, On and he says, kind of weird. Barry didn't make sure the truck driver didn't die. Well, so so there's a so Zack Snyder does not know what to do with the Flash. Right. The Flash. The as far, the only thing the Flash can do, even though you see him do more than this in the film. Apparently, according to this film, the only thing that Barry can do is run really fast. Because that's all Barry gets to do. And so the world slows down when, we, when he moves really fast, which mm-hmm. um, we've seen before. That always happens with um, the Flash. Uh, but no, we, we also saw it with a certain Marvel spin-off movie... Quicksilver from the X Men films, which was a big deal, and so it's yeah, it's a different. It's a but different we've also seen it in other iterations oh, of sure, Flash. Sure. I mean, it would see the, in but, the in other terms, but in terms, but in terms of this kind of big scale, everything freezing in the air, kind right. of thing, which, and which, which is fine, which is fine. This is that it, it's it's a cool effect. Um, in the midst of all of this, 
Um, he doesn't do a thing for the driver of the truck. He spends an awful lot of time staring at Iris. Uh-huh. Too much time. And grabbing a hot dog. It gets kind of creepy. And he grabs the hot dog before he saves her. It's like, okay. Well, and that goes back to that whole ADHD autism thing that I think they're trying to do with this, I, I, this I, version I, of Barry. That's fine. Which, again, doesn't work because that's not Barry. Well, but the thing is that if you're going to do that, mm. you need to do that. That's not what this film does. Yeah. And, and again, I, you know, Barry, Barry being attracted to this girl is fine. Okay, well, this is an establishing thing. But there's, like we talked about, there's times where scenes just go on too long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is one of them. It just, I mean, there's a point where you could, you could look at her and go, you know, we, and, and we get this beautiful shot of Iris's face, and we go, okay, ta-da. And then we move on. But instead, it's just, it, it, it's it lingers, lingers too long. Yeah. And it starts to get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like, Christopher, Barry, Barry, save the girl, quit staring. Yes. It's, Christopher Hoffman uh, says the Snyder Flash, and Christopher is our newest contributor, he says the Snyder Flash reminds me more of the 80s Wally West from the Messner Loeb run to a certain degree. Oh, sure. Um, I, I, it's, he gets more to do story-wise. It doesn't do him any favors. I, I think that I think that the humor here is less, with the exception of this first scene, the humor mm-hmm. is better for him later in the film. Um, he gets a few more character moments which make him that are quieter, which I like. Yeah, JOK says he was a lot less annoying in this cut. But there's big gaps here because you're right. No one ever. He never explains how he got his powers, and he sits there and just says things casually mm-hmm. like. When I run really close to the to the speed of light, and nobody sits there and goes, "Hang on, what?" Yeah, well, and the other part of that because you mentioned you mentioned not knowing what to do with him, he just runs really fast. If we take into account the crossover with the CW Flash, mm. that little scene mm. after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when when Movie Flash beats TV Flash. And says, "Are you a cosplayer?" Or what? Says, "Oh, yeah, I'm the Flash. The Flash. Oh, the Flash. That's good. I like that. You know, where it's very clear starting out, and as we've seen throughout all of the different iterations of this character now, that he's just starting out. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible. And again, it's not explained in the movie, so you don't know this. You're you're having to fill in the gaps, which is a problem." But headcanon being what it is, you could sit there and say, well, he doesn't know what he can do yet except run really fast. And, you know, because he breaks the glass in the, in the doggy daycare instead of vibrating through it. Right. So he doesn't know what he can do yet, maybe. But he already knows he's fast enough to run close to the speed of light. That's, that's one of those things you don't generally find out right away. Right. I mean, but, but you find out by accident. That's yeah. not something where he sits there and goes, I wonder how fast I can run. It, it's one of those where he goes, oh, crap, I'm running, I'm running this fast. Yeah, and, and, and yet we still also have a scene where when he quite rightly points out, we, this is not us fighting as a team. <laughs> and he whacks, he, he, he touches a parademon and basically transmits the momentum 
and uses essentially the speed force to propel it through a wall. Yeah. And uh, it's like, okay, look, there it is, right there. There's yep. a thing Barry can do. do. <laughs> yep. We will now ignore this for the rest of the movie. Yes. Uh, Super Jock says, the scene at the end with Flash was awesome. I wonder how many pairs of shoes Flash has destroyed. <laughs> well, see, then we, the scene at the end, um, and I realize we're kind of skipping around, um, but... Like you do. The scene at the end is really, really cool. It's visually very, very cool. Yeah. Where the, the he runs faster than the speed of light and discovers it's time travel and, and goes back in, you know, and except that there's no reason for him to think that's going to happen. There's no evidence to indicate that he... He says weird things happen, but he doesn't say yeah. what the weird things are, and there's at no point to just sit there and say, if I go run past the speed of light, Although, I go back in time. But if he does it, if you notice... Excuse me. When he does it in the ship, when they activate the mother box to bring yeah, but it's him like back, that long. It's, it's that not, long. But it's but it's enough to give you the hint of what's about to. It's yeah, you know, it's Chekhov's gun. Right. It, it is. And when he does this at the end, for me, the satisfying part of that is probably for the first time in filmed media. We get to see Barry Allen use time travel to fix something rather than break the entire <laughs> multiverse. Because it's always Barry's fault that something happens because he tries time travel and he screws things up. This time, he gets to use time travel to fix things. And it's, that and, was a nice change. And he mean, didn't admit that it could change things. Well. So he, he's aware that he's gonna, he can screw up. Yes. Well, yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, you know, I, Christopher Reeve just flew by and said, I did it before. <laughs> and But not in this universe. It's a, well, that's true. So, it's, uh, look, uh, the, the, it looks really, really cool. It's a neat effect. And it really, it actually works in the context of this story. And it, it also plays into the father relationship. And, and the being proud as a son. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that. There's a lot Par of that. Parent-child thing. Which makes, I mean, to some degree, it makes a perfect amount of sense leaving aside, um, you know, Zach losing his daughter. Yeah. It's because um, Clark Kent has strong relationships with the father that raised him and the father that, that sent him away. Mm -hmm. uh, Batman has... You know, the relationship with the loss of his parents. Barry's father is in jail, but Barry never gave up on him. Um, Wonder Woman has a relationship with her, strong relationship with her mother. And the sisters, that, yeah. whether they're not biological sisters, but they're, they're family. And the fact that she can't see them anymore, and, at least for now. And then you've got, you know, yeah. Cyborg having his relationship. So the parents and children actually matter quite a bit in here, which is mm -hmm. kind of nice. Drumdog72, uh, it's a new name I haven't seen in there before. Two Welcome. scenes that bug me, Bruce telling Aquaman he's Batman in front of the villagers, and Lois calling Superman Clark over and over in front of the cops and the soldiers. Secret, secret identities went out, the, went out the window in this movie. And well, then it's maybe even worse when Bruce Wayne is apparently going to turn the uh, Wayne Manor into uh, the Hall of Justice. I know, right? I'm like, like, wait, wait a minute, why is he... What, we don't what have. is that? Do we have any any chat over on the Twitch channel at all? I don't. It doesn't look like we do. Uh, for for those of you who are watching live, or if you're not watching live, you're watching this later. One of the things that I neglected to mention at the beginning of all of this, we have recently reactivated our Twitch channel, Twitch.tv/sci-fi for me. If you are 
uh, of, uh, if, if you are of the persuasion where you have a Twitch account, if you want to follow us, we're trying to get our numbers up so we can start our watch parties uh, again. So we're trying to get up to 100. And, uh, and once we get up to 100, we'll try to do some stuff. We've had some suggestions for uh, some different things that we could watch, one of them being Battlefield Earth. <laughs> and I think there was a horror one that you guys were talking about that was a possibility as well. Yeah, but I can't remember. What it was. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but yeah, there was there was some. There are we're making a list. Uh, Robert says superheroes uh, all have impossible wardrobe problems. Any spandex on Earth is going to wear through when rubbed between at the th- at the speed of light. And capes are not that durable either. So the solution for both of these in in. Canon, air quotes here. Bruce Wayne actually makes a comment about Flash's costume. Well, but also stuff that's made out of that. Flash also there's Barry gets knocked out a lot in this movie. Yeah, Um, but Barry also gets knocked out by having physical damage done to him that is fatal. Now, in 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 the comic, and and what's implied here is that Barry's. Uh, ability to survive this sort of stuff is part of his power set. And in the comic it is. I mean, he basically... Um, super speed would... Uh, well, first of all, he'd go blind. Um, his skin would catch fire. Um, he'd die terribly. I mean, but he's protected by the speed force. But he's protected force. by the speed force. But in the real world, yeah. if you accelerated a person like that, they, they would die horribly. And if they tried to stop, um, there's this thing called momentum... And uh, friction, friction. Yeah, it could be bad. Um, but Superman, uh, the reason Superman's costume doesn't uh, completely shred every time he's in a giant fight, uh, back in the Man of Steel comic, John Byrne, John Byrne, post crisis, uh, said basically there's a field that literally extends outside, and he's got um, he's protected. It's not just skin strength. Has an aura. He he literally has an aura, and his clothes just happen. His suit just is just inside it, and which made in him, in the in that part you can still tear his cape up really yeah, bad. And that six off. part uh, re redo of the origin, Ma Kent even says, "I've noticed that if anything's up against you, mm-hmm. if it's tight, it doesn't rip." So that's one of the reasons why they're saying you know they do the spandex suit is because Martha Kent says, "Well." That way, it doesn't it doesn't get messed up, mm-hmm. so, which is a way to you know it, it's a it's, little, a it's a wink and a nod, and it's you know it's one it, of those. But things. it holds up pretty well actually yeah. for this kind of universe. Um, the there's a lot of potential here for Barry during the big climactic scenes, but uh, basically all he's given is run really run fast and build up the electrical charge. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself. Um, yeah, that's got to be a pretty big electrical charge. Like, blow uh, out giant amounts of, you yeah. know, huge chunks of the planet just went away, electrical charge. But okay, sure, whatever. So we talked, about, we talked about the fact that this, thing, this is four hours long. Yeah. Instead of, and, and I, I heard uh, Robert Meyer Burnett made a mention of this because they were talking about the, the original idea was we were going to get Episodes, right. mm-hmm. as opposed to one movie, and I had not thought about this, but Robert made the point about uh, SAG contracts and the fact that you're making a movie instead of a TV series, and and various different 
There are different differences and rules. rules come into play here, which is probably why we got a four-hour movie. But you made the point, we were talking about this yesterday, about the potential that there is now for this kind of storytelling on a streaming service yeah. where you can do the three hours, the four-hour film, well, and, or you split it up and do a mini-series, mm-hmm. kind of like what Marvel is starting to do over on Disney+. Plus. And Anne Sarnoff even kind of hinted at this a little bit that, you know, HBO Max opens things up. And there are no plans at this point, but you could certainly make the make the leap that if there was going to be any more Snyderverse, you could do it on HBO Max right. and do longer stories and stay in this universe. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. So because the, they sold HBO Max, they're done. They they don't need to. Well, do here's else. here's it, it'll happen if the studio sees a financial benefit to happening. That's what's going. That's it'll happen if AT and T sees a benefit because who, the studio who, didn't want to do it. Whoever is going to sign the check, yeah. is going to be the one who's going to see the fight. They see that financial benefit, they'll do it. But it does open things up. It, I mean, we've. We've talked about before that, that getting adaptations of some of these some of this material would be it needs to be in a longer format. Mm-hmm. Getting a V for Vendetta, as much as people enjoy that film, to do a faithful adaptation of the comic, you need ten hours. Yeah, maybe tw- I could think you could probably you could do it in ten, um, but it's because there's it's a rich and deep story. If you want to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You can't do it in two hours. You need to have. Yeah, it's, you know, we've seen you can't do it in two hours. But, but there's so much. There's so much visual depth, and to get even a, uh, an approximation of that for a movie audience or a screaming audience, mm. there's so much historical data in those images, and you're, some of this is never going to translate. But yeah. to even come close, you need to have the time. Um, there's others, uh, you know. Some of this stuff would you could have well you could you could do Red Sun, in oh sure as a, as a street as a mini series a lot easier than you could do it and have the depth of the comic yeah on because uh, the problem with a, a, a movie version of Red Sun was that it would be immediately it would all it would be is communist Superman boom you wouldn't have time to do any of the depth and, and build it you you just wouldn't right. But you could do Elseworld titles. You could do the Snyderverse could live on. You could do some of these other spin-off things. If you're going to do Elseworlds, you could have Brandon Routh or Tyler Hecklin right. or any of the other guys who have played Superman over the years. You, know, sure. you could bring Dean Cain back sure. or have I, Tom Welling would never do it, but you could have Tom Welling do something. You know, you right, could right. you could do that kind of thing. Or cast a new Superman for something like that. Well, I mean, you could literally have, you know, you could, because we're talking, because DC has given themselves the multiverse idea, the idea of this, you know, Calvin Ellis Superman uh, right. becoming, you know, you have these avenues where you could tell these kinds of stories and your financial expectations are different. And the return investment for most, 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 Television, whether it's streaming or network, mm. is much much stronger than on for movies. Right, and you don't actually have the same advertising budget needs for TV. Right. Stories. Well, and the other thing too is 
now that the studios have decided to take all of their theatrical stuff and simultaneously release it to streaming, they don't have any incentive to pursue more Zack Snyder material. Because, again, without HBO Max, we have to sell HBO Max. Without that element, there would be no Snyder Cut. Yeah, there's no, there's no financial benefit to, unless you've got, unless you've got to sell the thing. Yeah. And what's interesting enough is that there's a very good argument to be made that when the country opens back up, movie theaters, the, we, we've had this year where we can get all this stuff given right to us at home. Yeah. Whether or not we are going to go back into movie theaters remains to be seen. But interestingly enough, and kind of disturbingly, as someone who's worked in movie theaters, we're reaching a point where the laws that basically say studios can't own movie theater chains are about to stop being valid. Right. So very quickly here, you could have a Disney-owned theater chain. You could have a... I still don't think that kind of thing would happen. Um, I mean, the Paramount rule is still there. I... It's a, and, it's a possibility, and and since the studios have their own streaming service, there's not as much incentive for them to own their own theater chains. Except, you're gonna have those folks who are going to want to go watch films in theaters, and if you own the venue, you get the profits from those folks, and you're not splitting them with anybody else. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I still, I, I kind of think that's a little bit of a stretch because you it still have. I'm just. You still have the. I can see a future with this happening. Possibly, maybe. Because it's, it's going to come down to whether or not it's a financial benefit to them, and considering there's a fair amount of theater real estate that's going to be available. Unfortunately, but there's still there's still a lot of regulatory stuff that you have to get through. But it's there. going away. Some of it. So uh, the yeah. the hard parts. Well. Yeah, I, I still don't see that happening. It's, I, I'll allow was, the possibility. I was not aware that it was expiring yeah. as quickly as I'll, it is. I'll, 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 well, uh, yeah, I'll agree that the possibility we'll is there. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I think, too, going back to our, our talk about the lower budget stuff, I think what you probably end up having is the studios will divide more of the, of the, the financial outlay and we'll be getting the smaller budget things and then maybe one big blockbuster and a bunch of streaming stuff. What you do is a bunch of streaming stuff and then your big blockbuster is your big crossover property. The only problem with that is the same kind of problem you have with what Disney's, with what Lucasfilm has been doing with the story group is you have the movies and if some of the rest of the story is in the comic book or the, or the books, no, you don't have the guarantee that the people watching the movies are going to watch the streaming or the read the book or whatever. That's true. That's true. So to do that kind of a Fair crossover, enough. you could do that, but you run the risk of not having the audience show up for the crossover because they haven't seen any of the rest but of it. But if the only place you can get the content is on their streaming service, yeah. if all the Marvel content is over here, which it is. And yeah. all the DC content is over here. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, it says Disney would do it billions of dollars every three or four years with an Avengers movie. Um, and Mazerus is just now catching up with a happy birthday to William Shatner. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I mean, we've kind of we've kind of bounced around a lot of different things as far as the story goes. I think I think Cyborg comes out better. Yeah. I think Flash gets more to do, but he doesn't necessarily come out better as we, a character. We lose some of the frenetic dialogue. We lose the the scene that a lot of people did not care for, where he face plants right into Diana's breast because it's a yeah, it's a sex, it's a sex boob joke, folks. Ooh, it's funny. Mm. Uh, eh. I don't like I don't like Pratt Falls. I'm sorry. <laughs> the one thing that I miss from the Whedon mm. thing. Is the race? Okay, the race. But that, but that that's was fun. That's inside fan baseball, though. I, mean, I know, I know, it is. But uh, but you know what we gain in in <coughs> in exchange for that? We gain a humanization of Clark. Yeah. That we didn't have. That well, they they try for in the first film, which is, doesn't quite work. It's really not. It's it's there in the second. This is the best of the Superman. The race has a brunch joke. <laughs> well, see, this the is thing, the best Superman yet of, of, for this version of Superman. But you have a setup for the race because mm-hmm. when when Clark comes back, and you even pointed this out, there was a really good way of showing just how fast he is when he's holding Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, all of there, and Flash comes around and he sees him, yeah, and reacts to him and and moves and. All you got to do is say, man, you're really fast. I wonder how fast you are. Are you really that fast? Are you faster than me? And then... Yeah, but see, here, though, end, we just... We, we, I we, mean, we, you did a 20-minute epilogue with six endings. You could just tack on another one. Yeah, folks, the Lord of the Rings is not <laughs> the model. <laughs> Zach, no. Don't, don't... I mean, it's... you. Yeah. We love... If you, if you love Return of the King... If it's one of your favorite films of all time, you still sit there and go, God, that ending went on forever. Okay. One thing that we have not talked about. Mm. Uh, the speaking, ending? speaking of the epilogue, the epi- uh, there, there's two things about the epilogue that bothers me, aside from the fact that it's 20 minutes long. <clears throat> it's unnecessary? <coughs> it's I mean, completely unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. You have the nightmare. Yeah. You have the vision of the future that's so, so co- totally unconnected to everything, and there's no explanation as to why Bruce Wayne would be having this dream now. Not to mention the internal logic. With the, well, okay, if you think of it as a dream, it makes a certain amount of less not sense. It's a dream. Yeah, but in, in, internally for the scene that we're seeing, which is not played as a dream, it's played as things really happening. Right. All I kept asking myself is, why are all these smart people so dumb? Because they're standing out in the open, they're, and they've already said... And they're dressed we, in their superhero costumes, <laughs> hiding from the bad know, guys. Right. Let's draw more attention. Hi there. Uh, I have a target. Yes. I have painted it on my chest. Yes. Well, I am, I am robbing the boy hostage. Okay, now, this this Joker from Jared Leto... Is the best version of the Jared Leto Joker so far. Yeah, and that's not saying much. That's <laughs> not saying but much at all. it does kind of feel like the kind of Joker you would get in a post-apocalyptic world. So I'm the, the, the one benefit to seeing this character, and again, this sequence is unnecessary. The Joker is completely unnecessary to this scene. Yeah, because we don't have any reason for him to be we're, there. We're setting up 
we're setting up a future film which 99.9% of the people seem involved are saying, whether it's true or not, maybe they're going to spring it on us. Never they're saying happen. it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, an, it's indulgent. Yeah, and there's and and well, you know it's, hey we it's, and the and the other part fine. of that where you have Lex Luthor and Slade Wilson mm-hmm. having a conversation and again this is the best version of of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex yeah. Luthor, but again if you're not if you were put off by him before you're not going to be less put off this time. Well, and that uh, is another one of those setups for a film that isn't going to happen now because because then we, then we the probably jump to the sequel to the to the future in the in the the nightmare sequence and Slade is on the side of Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're working together. But the, the Jared Leto's yeah. Joker here is interesting enough that I would be interested in, I would be interested in seeing him play the part in the now of the time, that version. That version, not yeah. the, um, not the the Suicide Squad version. Who, I still don't understand why, mm. and I don't need to. I don't. I don't care. I, just, I don't. Um, but it was he. There was, and his couple of times they let him laugh. Mm. They actually leaned into the creepy factor with the laugh, and I was right. like, okay, all right, that you, works. This is not. Kind of. I'm not actively disliking this Joker right now, and considering I'm probably never going to see that Joker again, I'm probably fine with that. And then the other part, the last part, the actual final last part. Yes, the up, the optimistic upbeat ending. Part when Martian Manhunter, when John Jones shows up at Bruce Wayne's door. Mm-hmm. Jaded casual Bruce Wayne. Oh, strange person who flew in and sit there and says, "Yeah, oh, I'm just going to be like." Oh, hi, a- other alien that I've never seen before. <laughs> he just kind of takes it in stride. He's like, yeah, okay, I've, I've seen what I've, I've seen. I've had a this day. Just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of lackadaisical just, yeah, I don't, I don't give a rip, whatever. But for John Jones to show up at the end and say, I saw you guys fight the bad guys, and now I feel okay coming out and fighting the bad guys with you. It was like, where were you? Where were you? In Russia! Uh, I mean, you know, Superman shut up and helped out, but this was an uncertain thing. Well, you could have yeah. stepped in. The fundamental problem with all of that is in most of the, at least the modern day, most of the origin stories of the Justice League, it's John Jones who brings everybody together because there's an alien threat coming. And in this one, he's nowhere to be found. Right. And he's, and he's a, a fundamental core character of the Justice League from the very beginning. Well, and he's added to this film, which is on one hand really, really cool, because you get to see Henry Lennox play the part. Yeah. But the other scene with him is the scene earlier in the film where it turns out that Martha Kent visiting Lois, who's been... who's, who's Amy Adams is a really fantastic actress who is asked in this entire film to play the grieving widow and nothing else. Yeah, she doesn't get anything to which do is in this movie. Terrible shame because she we know she's got the skills to give us an amazing performance as Lois Lane, but they haven't actually given her the part. Mm-hmm. No, she hasn't well, she has not been able to play Lois Lane at all in any of this. We got these stories, pieces yeah. of it, you know, like a minute here and a minute there, but that's yeah. about it. So the scene with, but the scene with Martian Manhunter and Lois is deeply, deeply deceptive and manipulative. 
Yeah. And it's just, I, it, it left me with this like, okay, you're trying, you're trying to get Lois back on her feet. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful. But you just manipulated her in a really awful manner. Although, and again, we go back to headcanon. Um, because it's not in the movie. It's not you in don't the movie. get the explanation here. So, John Jones portrays Martha Kent and does so in a way that clearly indicates that he's read her mind. Right, yeah. And knows about her. Which, you know, then you have the, the, the question of can ment- mental, reading someone's mind and... and mm. Mm. But then... He's able to get Lois Lane to get back on her feet. I mean, his intentions are good. His intentions and are good. Road to how hell. Else, how else is he going to have an interaction with her? Because she doesn't know who the general is. She's met the general. She's met the general, but they don't have any kind of a positive connection sure, right. that you would have Fair with enough. mother-in-law. Yeah. And if he were to show up as the Martian Manhunter, all sorts of questions I have, you know... Of well, course. Hey, what better way to start the reporter, right? <laughs> yeah, I have questions. Maybe we would have got a head. scene of Lois Lane. Yeah. Then you know, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, do you like pink? You know? <laughs> I, it, yeah, right. Sure, uh-huh. right. Yep. But the. <laughs> oh dear. But the the idea of John Jones doing this because Lois Lane is so important. Again, that goes back to that. Lois Lane is the key. We got that in Batman v Superman. Yeah, but but there's nothing. And then we get at the end that epilogue scene where Superman is holding what we presume is Lois's body. Right. So at some point, something happens to Lois that drives Clark off the deep end and anti-life equation or whatever, and stuff. And he he goes crazy. And this this lowest lane is the key is we get the serial number of Chekhov's gun. And we know that it that it's there somewhere on the shelf in the closet, but we don't actually get Chekhov's gun with this. Right. And so therefore we don't get the payoff for this. There's a hint of it, and I was like, well, wait a minute. What is that? Right. And we're never going to get it. Well, and not only that. If you, even if you go with the original intention of having it being, being the Green Lantern, instead of you know, instead of John Jones, and maybe it's yeah. maybe, you know, it's John Stewart, fantastic. People have been people have been clamoring for John Stewart on the big screen for a long time now. It doesn't solve the problem of the same. Where were you when this happened? Mm-hmm. Because even being off planet, yeah, um, this chain of events goes back to. Man of Steel. Mm. There's a time period here. This is not. This is these things did not flow out over just overnight. But if John Jones is off planet, well, you, that you could use that. You could use that, but it still would be a, a hand. I just got back, and I see what all of you have done. You need my help. You know, you could, the ex-marine says you could do that. Um, and it might have worked better, but we don't know that that's what he did. I wonder who he cast. I know. 
right? It's just like, because who, there, there who, been, who was it? There have been a lot of names that have been have brought up to play Jon Stewart over the years because he's, 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 like, well, he's like Wally West for a generation. Because uh-huh. um, um, of the animated stuff. The animated stuff, but, but also when, you know, uh, he's, he's been around as a Green Lantern in the comics for decades. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, even when Hal Jordan was the primary Green Lantern, uh, he, you know, he was part of the cast. He and in the, the CW, you have the hint that John, John Diggle, Diggle is John Stewart. And, so. and that's great. I mean, we'd love to see him pick up the ring. Yeah. Um, but I think he will. I think he's going to show up as a Green Lantern in Legends of Tomorrow. I think. Maybe. Well, and we're potentially getting a Green Lantern. You know, there's talk about a Green Lantern series, and there's been talk about a Green Lantern movie again, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's it's too good of a uh, of. Yeah. A thing for DC not to play with. But. Well, and, and Robert says, my inner nerd thinks the best Justice League story would be the alt-history Justice Society with Green Lantern vulnerable to wood, the Alan Scott iteration. Now, we're getting the animated Justice Society World War II movie right. that's just, I think, is out now. Um, and with what Walter Hamada said at Fandome and what now Amy Sardoff has said at, at with this Variety article... The fact that you have the multiverse, the fact that you have this, everything's opened up and all of the possibilities are out there, you could get still a Justice Society well, and, TV series and or now, I mean, if you if you've read if you've read the New Frontier oh, I, think, I, I love that. I think I it's New Frontier book. Zero. Is it, is it, I think it's Oh, you're Zero? not talking about Darwin Cook. No, you're talking the, about I'm talking about the comics the, the new, comic right the now. New the, thing. Uh, the comic yeah. right now. I think I think New Frontier is like the zero origin think, zero issue. Yeah. But it's it's the Justice Society is back. I mean, except that they're missing, and people are part of the thing is let's find our missing friends. Mm. But it's you know, Alan Alan Scott is an older man in this, and he's got you know his kids, Jaden and Obsidian, or his oh they they brought they're, them they're back. Both oh, good, good, so they've yeah. they've basically restored the. If you want the restored continuity, post rebirth, it's there. Yeah. If you want, if you want these different spinoff things, guess what? We can tell those stories in those areas too. So yeah. it opens it all up. But yes, the well, Darwin Cook uh, New Frontier is just oh yeah, it's so good. I would, I, I think it would be fun to see a live action version of that, but you could never do it because you couldn't afford it. You couldn't, but you also lose the quality because the it's one of those animated films where they get the visual texture right. Yeah, it's Darwin Cook's art. And it's really hard to do that with animated films. You look at, say, Legends of the Dark Knight, or uh, um, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, Returns yeah. which just doesn't doesn't capture it. Or The Dark Knight or, Returns doesn't work because of Peter Weller's performance. It's not the animation. It's the animation without, with, well, without you, that performance. Because P- Peter Weller just does not work yeah, for that. He's a, he's a wonderful actor. He's the wrong guy for the part. Yep. All right, so we're coming up on 9.30, two which, and a half hours. <laughs> which only seems appropriate for a four-hour film, but we're not going to go four hours, or three for that matter. No, no, we're not. I mean, overall, Zack Snyder's Justice League is better than oh, yeah. Joss Whedon's Justice Nothing League. Nothing is worse. No. It's still not... I would not categorize it as a masterpiece. No, I would not either. It's a solid, strong superhero movie set in the universe that Zack Snyder created. Yep. It was funnier than we thought than I thought it was going to be. Yep, we talked about that. Yes. So there's a lot more humor there, um, and it's not shoehorned in humor. It felt it's organic. organic. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I'm glad Zack Snyder got to finish it. I am too. I feel good for him and for and for Deborah I Snyder. I didn't need it. No. Um, but I'm glad that I saw it. HBO Max needed it. They did. Um, I will say that Superman, this, this like I said, this is the of the three films. This is the one where we get the closest to Superman. Except after he puts on the suit and he's Superman, he doesn't have a whole lot to do except punch things. No, he doesn't. So we don't get the character of but Superman. From, but from the moment from the moment he, he emerges from death, he's revived. Um, and you and I talked about the fact that I, I, I really would like to see a Superman film where we don't get Jesus imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, a reminder, folks: the character is two Jewish creators who. Yeah, uh, there's, he's, there's he's, Moses, he's Moses. Moses, not Jesus. But anyway, um, what are you going to do? Uh, from that moment on, a we get this incredible dis- demonstration of what his power set is compared to the, the the powerful people around him. Right, from the speed with Barry. Um, from fighting Wonder Woman, and you you see how close they are in strength, mm-hmm. and how he's like he's a head but stronger than she is. I mean, yeah. that's about. But but they they're they're so evenly matched, and she's she's not afraid of him in any way, shape, or form. She's like, I got to do this. Yep. Um, it's a great it's a great scene where you see these <clears throat> two uh, pair off each other in a way that's much more organic than Batman v Superman's fight. Yes. And you get to see the emotional connection with Lois and Martha, and you get to see him be funny. And when and when the memory comes back, you right. see it play out on his face, where he's like, "Oh, hey, I just remembered something about my own life." And the and the the did I not before? Yes, when she said you spoke, and he's <laughs> and the look on his face is just kind of like it's it's you you were. Every now and again, you get a reminder, um, and you get this like in odd places, like Enola Holmes. You realize that 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 Cavill is a good actor. He's a he's a very he can be a very subtle actor when you yeah. when you let him. And so, just the look on his face, kind of like, I guess I haven't said any words, have I? <laughs> huh? Interesting. And I, I, it, it was ni- it was nice. It was yeah. nice to see that kind of. Thing well, there. and and we have and we have said a lot of words tonight. So. We have. Overall, it's it's Overall, it's, a, it's a good one. If I'm going to give it, a, okay, so let's say uh, let's play the rating game, right? Sure. You kind of have to. So if you're going to go um, out of five stars, out of five stars, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, I'd say three and a half. Uh, and but... the only reason I'm going to give it a four is because um, overall it holds up really strongly. And of the three of the Zack Snyder superhero films, I found I enjoyed it the most. Yes, it is the best of the three. The only reason I would go, I could, I can't give it a five, is because it's got. If you took out the slow motion shots, you'd lose half an hour mm-hmm. alone. Oh, that reminds me. I meant to say this at the beginning of the uh, of the of the show. Those of you who are watching in Europe, in the UK especially, over on hmm. Sky TV. There is a difference in the runtime. I saw somebody comment on this on Facebook. The difference oh. in the runtime with the UK Europe version and the United States version. Nothing gets lost. It's still everything in the movie. But because of the frame rate, 
because over in Europe it's PAL, not NTSC. Right. Here it's running at 30 frames per second. There it's running at 25 frames per second, and so it's 10 minutes shorter. <laughs> but it's still exactly, it's all the same movie, but it's 10 minutes shorter because of the frame rate. Because, okay, right, right. NTSC, National Television Standards something, uh, the, the United States standard for broadcast for video is 30 frames per, well, 29.97 frames per second, which right. means that you have 30 pictures in a second. PAL, which is the European equivalent, and I think they do this in Japan as well, I think, I, I might have that wrong. They're 25 frames per second. So in one second, you have 25 well, pictures. Well, 24 point... Well, it's 25. It is, it, it, yeah, it is, it's, 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 a, it's a solid 25. And movies are 24, which is one of the reasons or why... 60 now. Yeah, 60. Well, you have 24 frames a second for, for video, which is why you have video that looks like movies, progressive scan. Mm -hmm. But I, I saw that the other day. I thought, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, Justice League is Zack Snyder's Justice League... And the Powell format is 10 minutes shorter, but it's still the same movie. I, I, I thought that was really interesting. So I, I, It's a film I would watch again. I mean, we've already, both you and I have already watched it twice. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed it. I, enjoy, I mean, it's, but it's flawed. I mean, it if is. You, if, yeah. you didn't, if you had issues with the first two films, you're going to have issues with this because those <laughs> issues are still there. Yeah, and and your Muslim uncle uh, appreciates our our cable access vibe that we've got going here. So uh, we do our best to to remind you of all these, those wonderful days. These two cameras here, and I actually uh, th there was a, a a podcast that I did where they interviewed us uh, interviewed me about all of this. These two cameras, the close up cameras, mm -hmm. are not HD resolution. They upscale pretty well. But that's one of the reasons why you get that that's that aesthetic a little bit right. is because these two cameras are SD. All right, so all that being said, it's a good film. It's completely unnecessary, except to sell HBO Max. We enjoyed it better than we thought we would. And we hope that if you enjoyed it, then well no, if you were looking forward to this film, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. If you were not looking forward to this film, you don't have to watch it. Right. And if you want to share with us your thoughts about it, please, we do have it, uh, the email address. You can leave a comment. You can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. Tomorrow on Live from the Bunker, we're going to have uh, some comic book creators out of the Pittsburgh area. And then on Wednesday, Judah Engelmeyer will be a guest, and we're going to be talking about the various different PR challenges that some of the studios are facing right now. Uh, uh, Warner Brothers being one of them, Disney being another one, talking about various different things that have been blowing up in the media. So that's uh, that's Wednesday. Those those are at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then we may have a new tartar sauce this week, possibly. The goal is to have a new tartar sauce this week. We started talking about Torchwood last episode, and we think we're going to stay there for a while because we're still waiting. And we, we've gotten what little information we got about the new season of Doctor Who. Is not There hasn't been anything new lately. Um, and there's the potential of t people are starting to talk a little bit about maybe Torchwood coming back. Um, and so we haven't really talked about Torchwood. And we have varying degrees of among the, the Tardis Sauce group. Yes. It's kind of like some of us really like it and some of them are like, 
it's a thing that was there. <laughs> uh, your Muslim uncle says he's about half an hour behind. I guess he's on playback right now, del- ah, you know, okay. tape delay. Uh, so he loves the idea of the watch parties. So hopefully, if you've got a Twitch channel or if you've got a Twitch account, you can you can follow us over there. As soon as we get to a hundred, we'll start making plans for a watch party. We'll figure out there what we're going to see. So if you've got you have to have an Amazon Prime. We'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But anyway, that's that's going to do it for us. Look at that. Two and a half hours. <clears throat> I know Pumpkin, so we're going to go. We knew it was going you. longer. Yes. Fun. All of you who are in the chat, thank you very much for your thoughts yeah, thanks, as well. Uh, if you are listening to this as a podcast, we do ask that you kind of rate and share and all of this. Sign up for our newsletter. Find us on all the social media, and if you are new to the channel, you haven't subscribed yet, we do, we do invite you to uh, at least consider that. Have your notifications turned on, because we do new programs almost every day of the week. And there's a lag time on notifications. Sometimes, Sometimes. Yes. I see the so, same thing on Twitter. So, yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here, oh, folks. Thanks, guys. We will be back next week. I have an idea oh. for a topic. Yes. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 